0: Hello welcome to the next episode of the podcast, a cannabis podcast for budding enthusiasts. As always, this episode was brought to you by our amazing sponsors, 420 Australia, your premier store for lifestyle and apparel, Organic Gardening Solutions, your one-stop shop for organic gardening needs to grow that top shelf, and last but not least, Seeds Here Now, your number one seed bank, guarantee on satisfaction as well as germination, best breeders there are. Check them out. On this episode, we're joined by Mass Medical Strains. Chat all things genetics, mass medical scene, and more. Let's get into it. Alrighty, so a big thank you and welcome to one of the fresh faces on the block, Mass Medical Strains. Thanks so much for joining us today.
1: Cool, thank you
0: so much for having me. I'm very excited to be here. So, our deviant question from the first question, which is kind of becoming our new first question. What are you smoking on at the moment?
1: Ooh, I actually just smoked on some Star Pupil that I grew um, a couple months ago, so it's really, really cured now. And it's a couple of my last nugs because I took a break from Perpetual Harvest, so I'm just like trying to make my last stash last me until my next stuff. But yeah, some Star Pupil, I chopped it a little bit early, like eight weeks instead of nine weeks, so it was a little bit racy, but really, really tasty. It's pretty much been my favorite for the last five years or so at least.
0: And do you find that she kind of comes into her prime at that point of curing, or it just happens to be where you're at?
1: Um, I like it after about a month, month and a half. Yeah. Probably closer to a month is like when it starts getting like really, really, really good. Um, but it's pretty tasty right off the bat just because, like, I don't know, maybe because there's not much chlorophyll. It's like so purple that like it, it's got a unique flavor pretty much when it's smokable, you know?
0: Yeah, okay. And so, you mentioned that, you know, you took her eight weeks instead of nine. What is the range of the harvest window for her? Like, is it like somewhere between eight and ten or just eight and nine? Um,
1: I pretty much always go nine weeks with her because that's just what I found is the sweet spot. And I think that's what pretty much everybody agrees is like right on nine weeks is perfect. But I don't know. She was going a little bit faster under the cobs. So, I chopped her a little early and it seems... fucking strong too so sometimes under led i'll go just over eight weeks and the cogs seem to go even faster than like the purples
0: and are you fully sorry i was going to say are you converted to the leds now or are you just still toying around with it before you transition
1: um i switched over most of my lights to leds and um i've got a couple Uh, I got CMHs and I got the ceramic HBS from Hordelox that I'm testing out, but mostly LED and I've been growing for years under different LEDs and stuff and I've just always liked them a little bit better than the HIDs.
0: Yeah, okay. So now if we jump back to our normal first question, what was your first experience with cannabis?
1: Yeah, this is a fun one. So um the first time i smoked was with a friend from new york and basically me and him were both thinking about smoking weed because um at least for me i grew up in kind of that mindset where like oh you know weed is a drug and it's bad and they taught you in school like that it's a gateway drug and all that crap so initially i didn't think weed was like anything i would ever touch and actually one of my best friends like started smoking weed when we were like 13 or 14 and then i didn't really like hang out with him much after that because i was like oh shit like he's a bad person now and whatever and then a few years later i realized like damn a couple of my older friends that i look up to that are really smart and they're successful like they smoke weed almost every single day and they're awesome people like i genuinely respect everything about them like there's no way that weed is bad So, I, you know, eventually I figured out, like, weed is not that crazy-ass drug that they tell you, like, in middle school and shit, you know? Um, So, anyways, me and my friend, he came from New York to visit me for, like, a week, and he brought some weed, and he's like, Dude, let's smoke. I just smoked last week for the first time, and it's awesome. So, like, we rolled up this joint. It was Sensi star, he said, and I just remember, like, we went deep into the woods because we were all scared of getting caught and we smoked it and we came out of the woods and i was just like waiting and i was like dude i'm not seeing anything like where's the dragons and shit flying around in my vision he <laughs> just started laughing he was like you don't see things it's not like that it's just a feeling And um, so it, i don't know i didn't feel anything i wasn't like i didn't know what the hell to expect but i wasn't experiencing what I expected, and then um, smoked a bunch of times after that, and I hadn't really been taught how to inhale properly, and then, um, actually, I went to Europe, and I smoked a few times there, and still, like, you know, nothing really happened, but I was like, yeah, I like smoking, you know, it's chill, and it doesn't really do anything, it's fine, so I just smoked with my friend, and then, this is awesome, my friend that I was staying with in Germany, he gave me this DVD, and he was like, dude, you got to watch this video. It's fucking awesome. And I was like, all right, sure. Like I'll get to it eventually. And I never ended up watching it and he kept asking me to watch it. And I was just like, yeah, I forgot. Like I'll watch it tomorrow. And then, so I get home and I brought the video home and I open it up and there's like two grams of weed in there and I flew back with it not even knowing. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, And then this was awesome. This is where I actually got high for the first time. So I just learned how to properly inhale and I rolled up two joints of it. And it was nighttime. I just smoked both of them to my face by myself. And then all of a sudden, it fucking hit me like a train. And I just felt like this feeling washed over me. And I immediately just thought I was going to die. And I was just freaking out like the whole entire night. I was just by myself. And then like... I thought i was giving myself surgery at one point like it, it was ridiculous because i just smoked way too much and like it just hit me super hard and that was a crazy memorable time just because like the music that i listened to that night just like stuck with me in a special way and like i just realized like damn this is some powerful shit. like i stopped i didn't smoke after that for a couple weeks and i don't know why i even tried it again but i ended up liking it a lot after that <laughs>
0: And so would you say that was the point when you kind of really got into it or like were you still sporadic in your usage for a while?
1: It was about it, it was a gradual thing like I'd probably smoke once a week or once every couple of weeks or something and then Just gradually got more into it like when I started realizing there's different strains and stuff and like ooh this weed I like and this weed I don't like and like This one has a different taste and stuff like that. Like, it started getting pretty interesting. And I don't know. I didn't really think too much about it because I was young, but I guess I just liked it for whatever reason. So, just kept smoking it more and more.
0: And so, outside of the uh, the Sensi Star you mentioned initially, what were some of the other strains that were going around in that earliest times? Like, most notably, you mentioned some of them were catching your attention. Do you remember specifically, or was it just kind of like the kind bud type of thing?
1: Yeah, I remember a few different times, Um, like the best one that, one of the best smokes I've had in my life was way back then, it was this blueberry, and I got it twice, and I never ever got it again after that, but I remember it so distinctly, it just had this amazing, like everything about it, the flavor, the texture, like it was cured really nice, and I didn't even know like anything about curing, but I just knew like, damn, the consistency of this, it's like juicy, but it's not wet. And it's sticky as hell and it's like so delicious and the eye was so good and i've been growing blueberry plants all the time looking for this vino and just never finding it but whatever that was i'm still searching that was one of my favorites and then some other i mean we got like kush and hayes which were just called kush and Hayes, like there there wasn't much of a name to it i remember like my dealer was like yeah kush is when it's good And Haze is when it's not so good and so I bought the Haze and I was like dude, I love the Haze and Turns out now like I'm really big into sativas and Back then I didn't even know there was like different Indicas and sativas and effects. I just knew there was like different names to it And I never believed the name because I didn't know if he's making it up, but That Haze was pretty good stuff yeah Um, Some AK-47
0: yeah okay i mean that blueberry comment you made is one we hear a lot it's almost like you know blueberry is so prolific but it's also like it's no one can really find that one cut at the same time
1: yeah it's elusive for sure and um i've noticed i've grown blueberry from a few different breeders and i got one where it had that high it maybe even had a better high It was like one of the best highs ever and it was every single time you smoked it, you just felt like how you felt when you were like 10 years old. Like so pure and so amazed and everything so perfect and fun and interesting. Like just the best mood ever and super nostalgic. And But the flavor was fucking horrible and it wasn't blueberry. It was just like something really good, but it wasn't the plant that I'm looking for. And now I'm digging into... Some clones from different people. So there's this one from New York, which I'm hoping is the one because a lot of bud from
0: New York comes up here, but we really know as we'll see. Yeah, okay. That's interesting you say that because I often have thought to myself when DJ first made Blueberry how how long did it sit there before they realized it was blueberry because i can only imagine they didn't find the insane blueberry pheno in the first couple of seeds they popped and so i wouldn't be surprised you know what i mean like i i think that more likely than not they didn't know there was the blueberry pheno's in there for a while
1: yeah that's a good point i'm not really sure like um i don't know how consistent his stock was back then or is now or like if his goal was the blueberry, or if he just found the blueberry and then kept going with it, or whatever, like you said, there could have been all kinds of other stuff in there too.
0: Yeah, okay. So, obviously, topic near and dear to the heart of this show Chem Dog. You know, you're in mass. Did you ever see it?
1: Dude, so actually, I'm not that into Chem personally, but I've smoked something grown by him, apparently and it was fucking really strong because i smoked one hit and i forgot i even smoked and i was like what the fuck is happening to me and then like i remembered that i smoked and it was just like it was such an experience um and one of my kind of friends more of just an acquaintance like a friend of a friend apparently his dad is best friends with ken dog and i was like fuck i can't tell this dude that i grow because i don't really tell anybody locally that i grow especially if i don't know them well or like i think they're shady and this kid's kind of shady so i was like i can't tell him that i grow like how, how do i get to meet chem without dropping the fact that i'm a breeder and stuff because i was just like eh. so i haven't uh ran into him personally yet but i'm growing a few different chem cuts right now so we'll see what's what but i don't know i'm It's good weed for sure, but it's not exactly my taste, so I've never been super, super into it personally.
0: Yeah, no, it's interesting. It's a very polarizing type of weed, isn't it? Like, what is it about it that you're not a fan of? I think the most common thing people say is it's just so non-functional in many respects.
1: All right, yeah, I'd probably agree with that. It's not very functional. It just kind of fucks you up. And I don't know there's a lot of weed that has that effect for me where it just feels like damn I'm fucked up like And that's not what I'm looking for I I don't smoke to get fucked up. I smoke to feel good. I smoke to Relax, I smoke to focus. I smoke to feel better, whatever it is, but I don't really smoke to feel like I'm on drugs specifically, I mean sometimes like a real nice trippy high is nice, but I Don't know. I'm not trying to just feel like debilitated
0: yeah i know what you mean it, it can be a bit full-on so last one i've got to ask about did you ever see the mass super skunk growing up
1: i have not personally no i wish
0: oh that's a bummer it's still like such a small kind of select period and area when it was around i think
1: yeah hmm. i'll have to ask a few people about that but yeah i haven't came across it i don't know if anybody has it around here if it's long gone
0: Yeah, I mean, people say it's around, but I haven't seen it, so I'd love to see it. Anyway, we kind of get back on track for a second. When did you kind of start to grow yourself, you know? And, And more importantly, what were the first strains you were growing out?
1: Yeah, so basically, I always, like like I told you how I used to have the impression that weed was like this really bad thing. So... I also thought, like, if you grow, you're just the worst. Like, you don't grow, you're going to go to prison. Like, growing is very bad. Like, it's it's a lot worse than smoking. So for a while, I never even thought about it. And then one time, it was funny. It was actually my mom. She was like, she knows that I smoke, and she's fine with it. But she was, like, scared I was going to get some laced weed or something. And she was like, you should grow. And I was like, you think I should grow, really? Like, I've been thinking about it, but I thought it was, like, so dangerous and she's like "No, just grow it's safer for you and blah blah blah. so i ended up growing because of that like that was the final push and basically let's see well the first plants i grew was the seeds that actually led to star pupil and my friend had given me a bunch of seeds and basically they were thai and afghani and he didn't really know anything about them at all and i didn't know anything about anything really like i just like I'll plant them in some solo cups like you said to do and I put them on my window sill. and then eventually like they were getting all stringy and my friend was like dude you gotta get that under a light or put it outside and I was like alright I went to a grocery store and they were like are you in veg or flower?" and I was like I don't know man I just need a light like I, I did so much reading and nothing made any sense to me but I was just like you know they're in, they're in the cups and they're five inches tall but they're not doing they're not growing fast and I had them for like almost two months and they're like they look like two-week-old seedling so I got a light put them in a closet and I only had six plants so um, I ended up putting one of them planting it out in the woods and the rest of them I flowered out indoors and one of them was a male and by this point I was obsessed like by the time they were actually Get to flower. I was reading every single day about growing and asking my friends and learning stuff. Like my friend told me um, that you could put fan on them to make them stronger, like you know, because the wind and stuff. And that just blew my mind because I was like, people know shit about growing weed. Like it it was, I didn't realize that there was knowledge up there. And then I just started getting obsessed, and I would like talk to people every day and read and learn. And then, so I was like, all right, I'm even going to make some seeds. It seems easy enough. So each plant, I just made seeds on like one bottom branch, but I was mainly just focusing on growing the plants because I, like I said, I had one male. And then, yeah, so one of the plants, I actually named it Star Pupil because it was super symmetrical and it just looked so awesome. And then, so I just named each plant something They just had funny names and stuff. And, um, Basically, I grew those out. They were awesome. The star pupil was like this half purple, half green kind of. It's not the exact star pupil I have now, but it's the mother to it. Um, but, anyways, it was really nice. It finished in 52 days. And I remember reading that everything had to go eight weeks. That's just what I thought. I was like, why is it done sooner? And why is this tall one not finished yet? And I had to let it go longer. And, like, I was reading every day, but there was just so much to learn. And,. So I harvested those and I smoked them and cured them, and saved the seeds off each one, labeled separately and all that. And then my next run, I was like, all right, autoflowers. I've been reading auto flowers are the best. I can't wait to grow some. And I ordered some and I grew them and I was just like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> I was so disappointed with the autoflowers in comparison to like the first plants that I grew that were like, so amazing and super strong and they all had their own unique character and i grew like four different strains of autos that like i purchased so i knew the strain names and i was like why is blue dream and northern lights the same as blueberry bliss like i don't get it they're all the same and i was like i don't know if it's the autos or strains or bullshit or what but i was just figuring shit out so i was like all right I really like that star pupil plant. I'm just gonna grow a bunch of seeds that I made off of that And then one of them ended up being my star pupil arm, and I've been keeping the clone of her ever since
0: So the the star pupil that you offer now, is that uh, like an F2 of the initial strain you made or where's it at?
1: So that's actually an S1 the seeds that I released and um, the thing is I had this star people clone and I've been growing it and it was super good. And I was like, what if my clones don't make it? And what if I fuck up and lose it? Like, I better make some seeds. And so I was like, how do I get it? What's, what's the best way to make seeds of this? Like, I just want this plant. I don't want to cross with anything else cause it might be worse or better or different, but I want this, like, this is awesome. So I learned about like making feminized seeds and how you could cross plant to itself. And so basically, I made S1s of it, and some people were saying, like, if you grow out S1s, they're gonna be the exact same as the mom, and other people were saying, no, they're gonna be all over the place, and they're gonna harm, and they're gonna suck, so I was like, fuck it, I'll just try it. And honestly, I got really lucky that, for whatever reason, when you S1 the star pupil, every single plant is, like, spot on to the star pupil, super, super close to the mother. So, that's what, um that's what the star pupil seeds are. And then since then, obviously I got into actual breeding and making regular seeds and doing some line work and stuff like that. But star pupil seeds, they're always just S ones because it's like the most perfect representation of the bomb.
0: Yeah, that's awesome. And so are you considering doing like a back cross or even like a cubing process down the line?
1: Yeah, I'm actually working on some right now and they're all, in the seedling stage right now, so I'm just waiting to see what they do basically and go from there, but um, I've done a lot of different outcrosses and stuff and I'm working on some back crosses and some FEM back crosses with a nice S1 that I found and just messing around with different things to see what I can come up with.
0: And so if you were to kind of think long term about it and you were gonna do maybe an extended backcrossing project, with the idea that the initial mail you use is probably not going to be really present after a few back crosses, but maybe some of the characteristics from it could be like maybe things you could improve on the Star Pupil. With that in mind, what type of things would you be looking for to bring? You know, if you were going to do, say, a, a cube project, you know, what is something maybe a male could bring to the table that would be an improvement?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, something that I like about a lot of the other plants that I've created is that um, like for example the poo tang has a really really nice stretch where you could veg that thing to be like four and a half tall and then you flower it and it's like four and a half feet tall with like a fuck ton of branches and it's just like this monster of plant where you don't really have to veg it that long so I would probably put something like that into it just like some more vigor. Um, shorten up the veg time a little just because that's the style that I usually breed with for other stuff um, and then It yields pretty good, but you could I mean I probably try to add a little bit of yield to it
0: Is yield something you consider when you're breeding or is it really like a peripheral consideration? Um,
1: yield is not too important, but I don't want to say I don't care about it because if something yields really low I'm going to toss it unless it's just super super special um like the Rick's Pupil is my lowest yielding strain which I don't even offer anymore but it's such a really good smoke so um it was worth keeping around for a while and then I kind of made things that I think were a little bit better and yielded a lot better so I was like all um you know Rick's Pupil like People who want it, they can get it, like I'll make more as freebies, but I like everything to at least have like a medium to high yield depending on what it is. But the main thing that I really breed for is like the vibe of the plant, how it is when you smoke it, like what you what you feel when you smoke it, what you experience, how you feel after you smoked it. Like, you know, some stuff you can smoke it, you feel great. And then afterwards you feel super drained and shitty. and I don't even like that. Like I like something where you can smoke it and you enjoy it and then you come down and you can you know like exist. You don't have to smoke again to feel good. Like you can you might even feel better after you've smoked it. Like you might have a nice experience where you're like, Life is fucking awesome, like I feel uplifted now even after you're not high anymore. Like that's the kind of stuff I like. Stuff that just leaves you feeling really good.
0: And so out of your lineup, what do you think best represents that?
1: Um, probably the star pupil, especially from the feedback that I've been getting from people lately. Like, It, it kind of blows my mind because I really like it as a planet, but I know that everyone's different. So every time somebody else likes it as much as I do, it's like really, really cool. Um, besides the star pupil, I have... A couple of sativas like the deadly sativa is really really powerful and that one's too much for a lot of people but if you smoke a very small amount of it it's super super uplifting and refreshing and then the prayer pupil for sure like i still remember the first time that i smoked that 33 percent phenol that i got and that was just such an uplifting experience and like Actually, a old timers haze too is a great night. I was up all night and smoked it at ten. I probably stayed up till like six in the morning from that shit. And it was like, I like the stuff where you smoke it and you make memories. You know, like you remember when you smoked that strain because it was so unique or it was such a good time or whatever. Not just like something that blends in with the rest and you fell asleep on the couch or something like that's no fun. To me.
0: Old-timers haze that's an interesting one. We don't hear about too much. Do you plan on releasing any crosses with that?
1: Oh, um, I'm not sure so I made the cross just to see what would happen because it was a crazy plant, you know, like Took them 17 weeks of flower and then 19 for the green pheno. and I really like that 17 week purple phenol. Um, so I made a few different beans on them and I wasn't really thinking of releasing them because I was just like, these are going to be wacky or people aren't going to want this. Like, you know, the saying, how everyone says, Oh, I want a really gnarly sativa. And then the other dude says, no, you actually don't. You just think you want that. It's always true. Like when you get to that point where you're like, here, these seeds will take 17 weeks to flower. You want to grow them? Everybody says no, even though they ask for it until that point. So (laughs) it's kind of like people, People think they want it, and I don't know if they actually do, but I made them kind of for myself and for my friends to dig through and see what happens, but I ended up getting a lot of beans off them, off the Magoon Cross, because that was a pretty big plant. So maybe, I mean, I've only seen a few of them grown out. I'd like to see more of them grown out, and i got to grow some myself um, because my friends have been growing them. So, yeah, I want to see what those do, and then we'll go from there. They might become available, I gave out some as freebies, so we'll see. And then the Star Pupil, Old Haze, those are just for me and friends, so I've got some of those uh, just starting to flower now, and I'm hoping to find some cool clone-only Purple Haze kind of Pupil Haze, whatever. We'll see what happens, really
0: yeah it sounds interesting i mean just out of curiosity with those old-timer blue magoo crosses what did the flowering time work out to be because something i've noticed from toying around with the magoo myself is it's such a consistent eight-week plant and so when you pair it with that 17-weeker does it just meet in the middle or do you get some that just fall all over the spectrum
1: um well like i said i've only seen a few of them so far and Basically, it seems like there's a Magoo dominant pheno that goes a little faster, but it's probably some kind of 10-12 week thing. And then the Haze one seems to be like, I think it's around 14 weeks or something. So it is a little bit shorter, but it's still super long. So we kind of met in the middle a little bit. Yeah, But I don't know how much variation there's going to actually be in those.
0: Okay. And so, if we just loop back to a point you made a moment ago, you mentioned you enjoy Professor P's photography. Are you into photography slash would you want to get into it more so eventually?
1: Yeah, I'm definitely super into photography and um, he's definitely an inspiration of mine when it comes to photographing cannabis plants and flowers and all that. Um, I've just always been drawn to the way that he captures the flower and the lighting, like it's really hard to get good lighting compared to just like average lighting. Like if you wanna make it look like one of his photos, you gotta take a hundred shots and gotta be moving two or three flashes around and really like trying hard and I like that. I like just when you see a flower and then you try to portray it the best way you possibly can, that's really cool. And it's a lot of fun to me. I'm usually taking pictures in the garden almost every day and post way too much on Instagram, but I don't know, a lot of times I half ass it because I'm just trying to show the plant and I don't want to take the plant out and put it in front of a black background every single day, but I like the changes day-to-day and flowers. I'm always shooting
0: photos of everything anyways. Yeah. So, do you think there's a really strong kind of link between having good photos and like sales? Because one might assume so, but you also might think, oh, well, there's some pretty big name guys who don't really take good photos, so to speak.
1: Well, oh, you know what's crazy is that a lot of my half-assed cell phone pictures that I post will end up getting like one or 2,000 likes and then I'll take a photo that took me an hour to get the perfect shot and it'll get like... 190 likes and like zero comments. So I don't know like I don't know what people are looking for because I think they're looking for some different things in the photos compared to what I'm looking for. But um, that's why I've been posting like whatever photos I take. Like some of them are just shitty phone pictures and people love them for whatever reason. Maybe because it's even more real. It's more of a real experience. They feel like, damn, that's what it would look like in my garden if i was looking at it like that's not some crazy high def camera and photoshop and unreal expectations like like the modeling industry you know how everything's like fake so maybe they like seeing the real stuff more
0: and so i mean if we look at the opposite end of what you were just talking about how do you feel about breeders who outright photoshop i mean do you think like if whatever people want to do with their photos that's cool by you or do you think it should really kind of be a true representation nobody
1: should photoshop their photos um obviously people are putting filters like instagram filters you got the sharpen and the contrast and whatever and i think most people i would hope can tell the difference between like a realistic photo versus like when they put it in photoshop and they change the hue and then you got this these overly red pistols not like the natural pink ones you can find like Sometimes you just see really, really red hairs with, like, a brownish tinge to the bud, and the leaves are, like, they're not even red anymore. They're, like, super just, like, blown out, and there's pixels in the colors. Like, if you see stuff like that in Photoshop, and it's just complete garbage, Um, in my opinion, you should be posting, like, realistic photos. Um, Yeah. And I like professor p's photography and like team terpene does a really nice job especially with like his studio shots and a few other guys like i like to see the stuff where they take the time to put on a good lens and put some nice flushes in there and get the angle right but you shouldn't really be photoshopping or artificially modifying anything unless it's just like light levels to just you know make the background a little darker or something like that's fine but that's about it I don't want to see modified colors. I want to see what it really looks like.
0: Yeah, I know what you mean. And I mean a quick little shout out to uh, photos I love. I was noticing the other day is uh, Green Dot Dave. He does some really nice photos.
1: Yeah. That's actually, I was thinking of him in my head, but I couldn't remember the name while I was saying those other two people.
0: Yeah, and it was only this morning. I was like, yeah, I mean, he does some good photos. So, something I wanted to quickly jump on. What is your general growth style? Because you mentioned you're into the LEDs and the cobs, but you know, are you organic? Are you bottled nutrients? Give us the rundown. Oh yeah, I love to talk about this
1: because to me it's so, so important to grow organically. So to answer your question, I grow organically in soil. And in my opinion, that's the best way to grow, period, for a lot of reasons. The first reason being for beginners. And I actually learned this at the grow store. They told me why they push organics to beginners because I was like, every other grow store I go to, they always try and sell you chemicals. But the one that I shop at, it's Green Harvest Hydroponics. They're awesome, and they teach a lot of people to grow organically, even when they're a first-time grower. And it's because it's just easier, plain and simple. You're not going to fuck up if you... growing synthetically there's a good chance you can kill a plant by over fertilizing it or getting your whatever your chemicals all fucked up whatever the hell they do um i mean i i think it's all kind of really i don't know synthetic growing is not my style i very very rarely smoke anything grown with nutrients at all because i'm super sensitive to it and i feel it in my body and I've met other people that are the same way. And some people are way more sensitive than I am. And i met some people that are like, I can't smoke weed because... And then they'll name like something like, oh, it fucks with my thyroid or it fucks with my lungs or my throat. And I feel it for the next two days. And then I'm like, try organic. And I give them something organic, just a little nugget and smoke it. And they're like, I didn't have that problem I always had. And I'm like, yeah, because you're probably reacting to chemicals that are in the bud. Whether you know it or not, 99% of the weed out there is grown with chemicals. Um, and 99% of the growers are taught that that's how you grow weed. And when I had my first plants that I told you about, they were in soil from my backyard, which I put into pots, and then they were under LED lights. And at one point I was having an issue, and it turned out that my light was too close, so it was like bleaching them. And so I went to a grocery store, a different grocery store, and I showed the photos and they were like, dude, bro, you gotta be hitting it with some newts, bro. Your plant's gonna die. And so they gave me some newts and I poured them in and I fried the hell out of my plants. And I lost like probably almost 50% of the leaves on them just within a few hours were totally like crinkled and crunched and yellow and white, like super gnarly. And that was the one and only time that I fed them any nutrients because I was like, that's not natural. What the hell did I just do? And luckily they didn't die and I was able to keep growing. But there's just so many things like that. Um, So if you're a beginner or if you're learning, it's just easier to go with organic. But it's healthier too. But I would say my favorite reason for growing organic is just getting the best expression out of the plant um, and doing it first try, doing it second try, if you fuck up a little bit. Um, I see a lot of nutrient growers that are like, yeah, I'm on my sixth run with this cut, and I finally got dialed down. And usually with organic, the plant dials itself in because the plant's choosing what it wants to take in from the soil, and the roots are interacting with all. whole the living stuff in your soil there's little microbes and whatever. And, you know, plants do really well in organic and pretty consistently so. Um, yeah. Sometimes you run into an issue, but usually it's straightforward. You can get a plant, whether it's a seed or a clone, you put it in some good dirt and you grow it and it's incredibly simple. And it takes five, ten minutes a day. You go water your plant you make sure your air is moving around. You check all your basic things like temperature, humidity, and it, it's just foolproof. So, And you can scale it up. I actually went to this giant operation in Maine where it was no-till, and it was like 99 lights or something like that. And every single plant was organic, just fed nothing but water. And they were huge, and they were doing major, major production here. They had a huge people working every single day there so when people say you can't scale it up it's bullshit it's just that they don't know how to do it they haven't tried they haven't looked into it enough but yeah to me organic is just the best way to do it
0: I 100% agree just to uh, clarify does that mean that you're pretty much mostly like an amended soil and you just water only for the most part
1: yeah exactly so my basic growing style is this um, I get a super soil that's called Mission Mix, and I've also used other soils that are similar, and they all do about the same thing. This is just the one that I like the most, but um, end brand works as long as it's specifically a super soil versus not just like regular potting soil that's not going to have enough stuff. It's not going to be tailored for the cannabis plant, it's just kind of for growing. So you want to get something that's made for growing weed, plant it in there, and Basically, if it's an indica plant, I'm going to transplant it into a spinal container one or two weeks before I flip to flower. And if it's a sativa plant where the uh, roots will grow a lot more when you flip it into flower, you can kind of transplant it right before flip, like on the day of flip, and then just put it into flower right there. And that's just the basic technique for growing plants in super soil, which always seems to work good for me. And I've also got a bunch of no-till pots where I'm on a bunch of them are just second round right now, but then I've got some that are third, fourth, and fifth round. And I'll just add some amendments to them each time and they have worms living in them and they're bigger size pots and they're awesome. And then you don't have to throw away soil and buy new soil.
0: Hell yeah. And so have you found that on those plots where you're on the fourth or the fifth cycle, for example, that it's kind of getting better with time? Cause that's something which is commonly, uh, you know, spouted by the organic, uh, preachers basically. Um,
1: a little, I don't, I don't really know. It, it kind of depends because some plants like them more than others. And sometimes you run into a little issue where all of a sudden your plants aren't in a yellow and then next week it looks good again. So, it's definitely kind of shifting around and constantly adjusting and stuff, but everything ends up doing really well regardless of if it's like first round or fifth round, they've all been doing pretty good.
0: Yeah. So when you do grow out those more sativa, I mean, that's pretty much all you grow, do you find that they are a little more sensitive than say the odd indica that you run?
1: Um, sensitive
0: maybe as in like hermaphroditic
1: or oh um hmm. the only challenge i've had recently was those old-timers hazes um they all got super deficient somewhere in week 10 or 12 of flower and they were in a second round no-till pot and i was like all right i gotta save these so i fed them with some um, some teas, like dragonfly earth medicine, and I put some amendments into the soil and then they got way overfed right away and they just started frying and it like, it totally went the opposite direction and I was like, oh shit, this is not going to go well and then a couple weeks later they bounced back and they started flowering more and putting out new flowers because like, hey, hay is just flowers forever so um, that was definitely the most finicky thing that I've grown in a while most things are fairly simple. The only way that I've fucked up upon the sativa is not enough root space or not enough soil, really. Um, then it might get deficient before it finishes because if it's flowering 12 weeks versus eight, it might need a little bit more nutrition to carry it that far.
0: Yeah. So a thought I've been pondering over for a while is, Every now and again, I'll talk to a newbie and they'll be like, oh, I want to grow purple haze or like, you know, clearly like they haven't looked into the specifics at all. And you kind of like, no, that's not a beginner's plan at all. And, and you're not even going to find the thing you're looking for. But anyway, I digress. When, when you do grow out these haze plants or, you know, something akin to the purple haze, so to speak, these 17 weekers and whatnot. I was trying to think, what is it about these plants which specifically makes them hard to grow? And I was thinking about it, and I think the, the best way I could pinpoint it is that it's kind of what you mentioned about if you give them extra nutrients, they just start to bloom more growth and it can almost just stretch it out indefinitely. Do you think that is the primary challenge with these longer-growing plants, or do you think it's just a variety of other things as well?
1: Um, so the common thing that I hear from people is the first concern is always space they're like i have x amount of height Like i have five feet of height i can't grow sativas or i don't want to another thing is just the bloom times people don't have the actual patience to go that long which i do understand but the thing is you can put one of those in the corner and have the rest of your tent be like an eight week indica and then when those are done you dry them and your old timer's haze is still going for another cycle or two of your next harvest and then those will finish up and then your haze is almost done so i mean the patience thing is like just dedicate a little corner to it and get used to it and for me when i'm growing long time satives i'm not really thinking about like when's it going to be done it's a really really nice plant to be in the moment with and just appreciate that plant every day or whenever you feel like spending some time with it, um, just grab it and enjoy it and smell it. Because, I don't know, a lot of growing, it's always like, oh, what am I gonna grow next? What's what's coming down? What's going in? And you're always focusing on later. And I always try to remind myself to like focus on the present and how beautiful everything is like right now that I have. So the sativas really teach you to do that because if you think about when it's coming down, you're just going to stress out because it's not anytime soon. But if you're looking at it and it, you're just appreciating it, it's almost like a blast. Well, it is a blast to the past, but it's it's like a step backwards in cannabis evolution, really. Because you see these, they're not even buds. They're barely buds. They're just strings of calyxes. But they're all near each other. And you can imagine, like, if you squish them next to each other, it almost becomes like a modern bud. And I don't know, just stuff like that, but I got a little off topic from the question. So what was the question again?
0: (laughs) No, that's that's awesome. Let's keep going with this because that's like you just summarized exactly how I feel. I was talking to a friend just the other day about how I was saying to them, I don't even get excited about what I'm going to harvest because I've been thinking about that already for so long and now I'm already thinking about what's going in next. And So, by the time I'm actually harvesting the crop, I'm already like, I'm really excited for the seeds I'm germinating. But what you said is essentially just kind of like mindfulness for cannabis growers, right? Like, live in the moment, not in your head, right?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's actually why I took a break from doing Perpetual because I've been Perpetual since my third grow ever. And I just took my first perpetual break and that was the fucking worst idea, but I thought it would be awesome because I was like, yeah, I'll really, well, it was a good idea because it made me appreciate everything a little more and slow down, which was the goal of it. But the problem was I ran out of stuff to smoke and I'm like trying to make these few grams last a couple months. But anyways, it's, you're always in this cycle of like, you have stuff midway through bloom, and then you, you've got this new s- bunch of strains that you're popping seeds of, and you have stuff that's almost ready to go into flower that you're not even excited about anymore because you're more excited about your seedlings, and you're just waiting for your flower to come down, and that that's not a good place to be. I've seen a lot of people that are in that kind of zone perpetually, and it's, it's more awesome to just treat every plant as something Special that it is like when you're in flower go appreciate those flowers when you're in your drying or curing stage appreciate your work right there and don't give up like Keep focusing on that as if it was your only plant because in that moment it is the plant in front of you is all you have so Just kind of paying pay attention to every single stage and then you go into your bedroom and like, you know Don't, don't just water them and be like all right boring. You got to really Look at the structure and give them some stem rubs and smell them. Look at what kind of different funny leaves are on different plants and who's praying and who's drooping. And like when you got a whole bunch of the same strain, be like, all right, this one's a little stretchier and this one's shorter. Like just spend more time staring at your plants, like all of them, and be excited for them all because if you have a plant that you're not excited about, you shouldn't be growing it. And that's something I learned when I was, like, growing a really, really lot of weed. And half of it was stuff that I was just growing because I had it. I didn't even want to smoke it because I didn't like it. And then I learned, like, there's, there's no room for those plants. Like, just get them out of there. Give them away. Or if you have to, just compost them and dry them out and put them back into your soil. But don't grow something if the vibe isn't right. Don't grow it. Just because you have it
0: and grow it because you want it and because you're excited about it and you'll have a lot more fun. Yeah, definitely. In the words of uh, Mr. Bob Hempill, not library status. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> so then that brings me to the point then, pheno hunting. This is something near and dear to my heart because it loops back to something you just mentioned. With organics, it's it's so easy to pheno hunt because as you said, you do things right, the plant presents itself to you. So with that being said, you know, are you pretty ruthless with the pheno hunting? Things have to be pretty good to make the library status. And then, as a follow-up, for people out there who are in that boat that you just mentioned, where maybe they're growing some things they're not that keen about, do you push people to pheno hunt more, like, or do you think just find a few plants you like and then stick with them for a while, or what's your gig? Yeah, so
1: when I'm pheno hunting, um, I'm super, super picky because. Um, even if i'm not pheno hunting and i'm just trying to grow like one or two plants of something i'm still picky as hell but um the point is like a lot of people i understand because seeds are expensive and whatever but a lot of people they won't throw away anything because they're just like oh you know like i paid for that or like it's a plant and i used to like never even want to pluck a leaf off a plant in the first place because i was like i don't want to hurt it it's so special and. Now it's more of like, I don't know. I guess I call a lot of fucking plants. A lot of times if I'm pheno hunting something and I know I only have room to flower 20, I'll start 250 beans anyways and weed them out through veg, even if I'm just going to flower 10. Because it's like, the more of a selection you have, the better plant you're going to find. Unless you just get lucky, you can also plant one single seed and get lucky, find something really awesome, and it does happen. But if you pop a whole bunch of seeds, if you have the ability to, whether you're gonna grow out all of them or maybe give some away to friends, like if I can't flower everything, I'll give away a few nice looking ones to friends and be like, hey, if this is any good, just get me a cut pack. And it never ends up being anything good, but uh, usually, at least with my own lens when I'm breeding, um, I know what I'm looking for. So I can weed out a lot in veg, and then I know pretty good idea like which females I want to grow out just based on their growth patterns and then see if I find the flower um, flower qualities that I'm looking for after that. But there is a lot to be said in the stem rub. People don't really realize that um, a stem rub on one specific day doesn't tell you much, but if you stem rub every plant, maybe every week let's say you got like 50 plants stem rub all of them every week and take notes on every single one because they're gonna change and some of them will give you that hint that you're looking for like for example when I was looking for my prayer tower male I had grown prayer tower a few different times before and I knew which pheno I liked I was trying to find a male that had that pheno which is you know a little bit difficult and I was stem rubbing all the plants, and on one specific day, the male that ended up being the one had the smell I was looking for, but it never had it again, but none of the other plants ever had it, and so I went with that one. I was just like, this has to be the one. Like, it has this soapy, hashy smell that I'm looking for. It's like this creamy soap. I don't even know how to explain it, but it ended up being the one, and then it passed on the exact traits I was looking for in the flower department and i mean it checked all the other boxes too but
0: that's just one example of how like the stem can tell you a lot but it won't just tell you every day you got to really check them out on different days stuff like that yeah i i agree and something i had noticed and i'd love to run by you is you can actually get different uh smells whether you rub the stem at the new growth where you know the shoot is rather green versus say you know a little bit more woody hardened growth down low do you take note of the differences or do that at all
1: yeah i usually rub probably three quarters of the plant just by habit and then i don't know sometimes i'll check different parts of it and if i find something interesting i'll i'll take another finger and rub a different part of the plant like really look into it and then If there's no smell or not much smell, I'll try and rub like a different part of it. So definitely, I think it's almost like how if you have a big clone or a big mom and you're taking clones and like one round, all the top clones root and the bottoms don't root that well. And then the next round, it's the other way around. It's kind of like how the plant has different levels of hormones in different areas at different times. So I guess it's similar to that where like, one day the bottom might smell more and one day the top might smell more or they might smell differently at different times Just things moving around with the plant. Maybe it has to do with day and night too. I don't really know
0: Yeah, and I understand and so do you generally take clones from the top and the bottom or just wherever it seems to work at the time? And what do you use to stimulate rooting given that you're organic?
1: Oh, yeah, so clones are on um, I always used to take from the bottom because I learned that from the internet or from whoever it's like bottom clones root faster because they're closer to the roots and then the last year or two people like when I started telling people about that they're like dude you got to take them from the top so you get way better clones so now I've been doing a bit of both because I've always had great plants from taking roots uh, taking cuts from the bottom so I don't know you can do either way I don't even think it matters I mean, I guess the next step would be to take a bottom clone and a top clone and flower them side by side and see if there's a difference. But I really don't think there's going to be, as long as it's a healthy clone, a healthy mother plant, and it stays pretty healthy while rooting and going through that transformation from being a branch to a new plant. As long as it doesn't like almost die or something, like it's it's gonna be fine. Um, you know, a clone is a clone as long as it's healthy and happy. So, what I do for clones is very simple. Um, Just take an aero cloner, like, it's a bucket full of water, and there's an air stone and an air pump, and the water's bubbling around, and just take some cuts, like, I don't know. I used to take really small cuts. I didn't know any better, and now I take a little bigger ones, but at least probably six seven inches or something is good and like maybe 10 inch cut is pretty nice usually the big ones are stronger plants from the get-go so um you know whatever it doesn't really matter that much but basically you just cut off a branch and stick it in the water and then two or three weeks later it's rooted. Really, it's really really easy you don't have to do anything like one time I dipped them all in aloe, and they all died. So it was like, all right, none of that. Like, going back to straight water, it worked for me. Like, I'm not going to change anything. And then one time, um, I had some really difficult cuts that I couldn't root. I forget what strains they were, but somebody was like, yeah, just pretend it's a deep water culture. Just throw in all the newts in there, like, super diluted. And I did that, and they fucking rooted, like, monsters, and they were growing in the cloner, and they had, like, these huge, like unbelievable overkill roots so if you need a boost you can put shit in there but i never do because it's not organic like i did it that one time when i just couldn't get something to root or survive or whatever but um the only thing that i help them with sometimes i don't even do it every time but when i remember is i'll spray them with a foliar spray like the first four days or so in there, and that'll just beat them a little bit but you don't even have to do that. Like I usually, I just have like a separate layer like underneath one of the tables in my bedroom and I just have like lights under there and I put my cloners under there and just fill them up and then you just have to remember to check the water maybe once a week, like put some, you know, empty it out, clean it out, put some new water in or just top it off once in a while and it's, it's just waiting and basically forgetting and then remembering and then they're done.
0: Yeah. And, heck, you can't get much more organic than plain water, right? <laughs> Do you generally like to push people to constantly be popping new seeds in pheno hunting? Or are you kind of okay with the idea that people just run the same thing for a while?
1: Um, Luckily, most of the people that I know, not all of
0: them, but most of
1: them are pretty into popping seeds. And that's cool because I love giving them seeds and watching them grow them out. But in general... I definitely tell people never stop popping seeds. Um, similar to, like, what Bodhi said, just every seed is its own plant, and it's, it's like, such a special thing inside there. And, like, yeah, all these elite clones and popular clones are, most of them are pretty good, some of them, whatever, but, I mean, they're great plants, but it's not that hard to find your own Plants that are just as good or better or different and um in my opinion, when you plant a seed, that plant, you know, is really your plant. It has an emotional bond with you and you have one with it. And that plant is it's just gonna be closer to you than a clone that you got from someone else, no matter what. You can love a clone too, but when you watch a plant grow up from seed, I mean you're carrying it like from birth you're literally giving it life and that plant is going to work with you and um i forget where i heard it but somewhere in africa where they grow cannabis they say you have to grow your own cannabis for it to be the best for you and if somebody else grows it or if you steal it from someone or you take it or get it from someone it's not going to help you the same way as if you grow the plant for you because that plant is working for you and you are working for it and it's just a special bond but um anyways yeah so popping seeds is like you're gonna find all these unique plants every single plant you grow is gonna be something that nobody else has grown even though it's yeah it's the same strain and maybe something stabilized and whatever but you have that individual child that's your own plant and it's gonna adapt to your environment immediately start Um, expressing itself based on what you give it, Um, including emotions, actually, but even just down to environment and all that. And you're going to find some really special plants. And I never really thought it was that fun growing other clones because I was like, you know, why do I want to grow the same thing that the next guy has and the next guy and the next guy? And 5,000 other people also have this. Like now i'm a little bit more open to it because i think it's cool to see what that plant is the same as seeing what any seed is it's like all right cool it is another plant like let's see what's so good about it or like looks awesome smells awesome whatever i want to smoke it there's plenty of reasons to grow a clone for sure but growing seeds is just like that's that's how all those clones came to be obviously they came from seed that someone popped And you never know, you might be the next person that pops a seed, whether it's you popped one or 500, you might pop that next elite clone-only, blah, 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 amazing plant that everyone wants to grow and smoke. And if you don't pop seeds, you'll never know.
0: That's exactly it. So... Again, looping back to a point you made earlier on. You said that, you know, it's really important to you like the the vibe of if you're going to use someone else's work, like their vibe, things like that. I guess that means that there's maybe certain people's work who you wouldn't want to work with. But the flip side of that is how would you feel if someone who you didn't really vibe with, they fell into that category of you wouldn't work with their gear because you don't agree with maybe personal aspects or whatever. How would you feel if they then started to incorporate your work into their gear? Is that, you know, would that tick you off or is it kind of just a part of the game?
1: Um, I mean, I would have to be okay with it because honestly, I believe anybody should be able to do whatever they want with whatever plan is in their possession. So... If somebody wanted to breed with my stuff, luckily everybody that's bred with my strain so far has been friendly with me, which is really, really nice, and they've done some amazing work. There's a Stellar Collision with D-Man Seeds, and that was something we agreed upon. Like, hey, grow these and breed with them, and we'll do this collab kind of thing and whatever. So that's just one of them. There's a few others out there too. And then there's some people that bred with some of my stuff that... Like, you know, they didn't ask me, but I saw it and I was just like, holy shit, that looks amazing. Like, that's really cool. I'm happy to see that. Like, thanks for choosing my strain versus someone else's. Like, that means a lot to me. I think it's really cool. Um, So, I don't know. I mean, if somebody that I didn't like bred with one of my plants, I'd probably like them a little more. I don't really know. Like, I, I wouldn't be mad. Like... It's fine. I'd probably still be honored because it's just like, you know, they like that plant. It works for them. And they're going to put their own twist to it. Maybe they'll even make something that I don't like. Like maybe they'll put cookies into it. And I fucking hate cookies. But like <laughs> if somebody, you know, they want to make their own version of whatever, like let's say somebody wants to make a pupil hybrid with some, with like an OG or cookies or something. It's like, cool, do it. Like, I want to see what it comes out like. I'd probably still grow it out even if I don't really like you. I normally wouldn't grow plants from people I don't like, but if there's, like, something really cool about it, I can put things aside because I don't – I try not to have problems with people. Like, if they have a problem with me, then maybe I'm not going to like them so much. But it's pretty – I don't know. There's a lot of love in the scene, so I try to focus on all the positives all the time.
0: Yeah, of course. And so, in general, where do you sit on the issue of, uh, say, permission or good grace? I mean, I know you mentioned earlier that you had the conversation with Professor P. Is that kind of ideally how you would like it to go down With mo- if you were going to use someone else's work? Or like, for example, let's just say you could, couldn't really get in contact with them, would you just kind of go ahead? Like, what would you be your protocol?
1: Yeah. So, basically the best case scenario of course is one like that where you can talk to the person who's bred the plant you want to work with and be like hey do you mind if i do this and then when i talk to them i even say like yeah these are going to be for sale at some point they might be sold as an f1 they might be worth whatever it is i'll explain them what i want to do and then if they say that's okay then that's like the best case scenario and if they said it wasn't okay i wouldn't even do it at all but there's other cases where you just can't get in contact with the people or maybe it's something that's so used already that you're like fuck it it's fine like gorilla glue 4 is the only like elite clone that i've bred with and i was kind of like all right I, i don't think they'll get mad at me like there's 700 different glue hybrids out there already and like i actually feel like i can make something unique with it so i'm just gonna go for it like i think it's fine um and like Wu-Tang was another. I made a Pupil Tangi hybrid, and I was like, I can't get in contact with the Tangi dudes, and people don't even know what the hell Tangi is because maybe they took California Orange and renamed it, or you know, there's that whole Tangi drama. Nobody knows the exact truth behind what they did, and if they really made it or if they just have it. So I'm like, all right, Tangi's kind of free range. Everyone's breeding with that too, like it's fine. But um, I definitely prefer a lot. Agreed breed with anything from somebody that I can talk to, that I know personally, um, or that says like, it's okay. That's definitely the coolest way to do it because then you just know that like, there's there's more good vibes in it that way. Like, a lot of my words with some of the D-Man and stuff, which I'm friends with him and I got to go to his place in Canada, which is really cool. And he taught me so, so much. Like a lot of my breathing knowledge comes from him over the years, so. It's really, really cool to breed with each other's stuff. And it just puts, like, an extra piece of excitement in there. Every time you grow those plants, it's like you have a little bit of the connection with that person, too. Like, even if it's just in your head or it's in the plant. Like, I don't know, right now I'm growing some Mr. E pupils. And so Mr. E is a cut from East Coaster Dam that he gave me to breed with. And growing those is so cool because it's, like, that's a super special plant that my friend held for 10 plus years. And then he gifted it to me that I could breed with it because he wanted it to be available to other people. And I don't know, it's just that much more exciting to see like my plants come together with his plants when we're both friends and we're both like our own plants and each other's plants. Like there's, there's a lot of good vibes bouncing back and forth when you're collaborating like that.
0: Yeah, of course. And so just kind of in line with what you just mentioned, what are some genetics you don't currently have access to but you'd love to work with and why?
1: Hmm, Um, I want to check out some Colombian golds because I've never grown or smoked that specifically. I mean, I've had it like in hybridized, whatever, but I haven't had this pure Colombian gold yet. Um, Vietnam black, like just some different land races. Um, I don't know if I would necessarily breed with them or not. It depends, like, how outrageously finicky they are or not. But because um, usually I tend to try to breed with something that's, like, pretty stable off the bat just because it's available. Like, why would you not use something that you like that's already pretty damn good? But um, I believe everybody should try grow out the craziest plants that they heard of through their like old ass uncle or whoever the hell is just like back in my day we smoked this and this and it came off of both like when you hear a story like that and it speaks to you or it just sounds cool like seek out that plant because it's not as long gone as you might think like there's somebody preserving every single land strain so that stuff is just awesome and sometimes it can be really good reading too uh, what else? What else? Uh, as cheesy as it sounds, I'm finally getting triangle Kush because I've never had that clone before, and like I said, I don't usually grow—I don't usually breed with clones, but that's one that I'm really excited to explore the possibilities because every single TK hybrid that I've smoked has been so so good, and I've grown a few and seen a whole bunch of them growing, and I don't know, man, like it's a classic and maybe it's a little overused, but I think the star people put like a unique touch to it. And I think um, that'll be really cool. So that's coming up soon. Well, I don't want to tell people that, but that's <laughs> coming in a year or two if it works out well, you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, I don't think anyone's going to look down on you for liking TK. It's it's easily my favorite of all the cushions, and it, it's just so solid. I can, when I, when you smoke it, you can understand why it's stood up. But with that in mind, are there any other ultra-clone-only, you know, almost even borderline hype strains that you would consider working with?
1: Um, I'm checking a few out at the moment. Like I said, um, how oh, I got some clones. I'm kind of doing a run of, like, a ton of clones just to see what I like, actually, out all, like, these elites and stuff just because I recently ran into, like, a few different people that are big on, like, having all these elite clones and stuff, and they're just yeah, you can have whatever the fuck you want. So, I'm just like, alright, let's take in a whole bunch, and I don't want to, like, tell people that I'm going to breed with them or not, because chances are I'm not gonna, unless something really vibes with me, but I'm sure something will really vibe with me. So, um, I'm gonna be checking out, uh, I got, like, Soma's Lavender, I got Tem D, I got Supposed to chem 91, but it's not so I'm still looking for chem 91 a real one of that would be cool but um Looking through some blueberry clones uh, Purple punch. I mean, I don't think it's supposed to be very strong, but it smells really good and it looks awesome. So maybe one day I'll hit that with some heavy hitters, but I don't know probably not I don't I don't think I need to because Usually, when I'm breeding, I like to find stuff from seed from strains that I really like already, and then work with that, just because it's more unique. Like, I don't want to create the same thing that somebody next door can create, like, or create something similar to. Like, I don't want to make the next purple hybrid if there's already thirty different purple hybrids out there. I'd rather like sprout a bunch of seeds of like anything, and then find something I like. And I'd rather hybridize with that just because nobody else has that, you know, that strain because I grew it from seed. And I liked it because of whatever reasons I liked it for versus like, oh, it's that clone that you can pick up at the shop for 20 bucks.
0: So with that being said, are you somewhat kind of uh, guardful of your clones, given that, you know, you have gone through work to find the individual ones? Are you kind of of the mindset that you know, to keep your work unique and in that regard, you know, still valuable in the consumer's eyes, you want to somewhat limit the availability of the parents?
1: Um, so actually the only clone that I'm like that with is the Star Pupil because it's just such an amazing breeding cut, like it's it's just the world to me. Like it's it's an amazing, amazing plant. And so nobody has that. Um family members have that, so in case I lose it I can get it back. But Nobody else has that, no matter how much I trust them. They just don't get it because then it's going to get out. Um, everything else I like to share because I'm really excited when I make a strain and then I find a really nice cut of it, and it just represents exactly what it's going for. I'm happy for people to grow that, Like especially if they don't want to dig through seeds. I'll be like, here, try this cut. Like, this is the thing on the front page of my... Catalog like this is that cut grow it out. It's gonna look just like that and it's gonna smoke amazing and You don't have to like you don't even have to dig through a back to seeds like it's just here So I'm happy to share those really awesome plants that I get and some of them are actually going to be available soon Through a few different clone exchanges. So if you're lucky enough You'll be able to pick up a cut of like Putang, Amnesia Pupil, Rick's Pupil um and then others in the future as I let them out slowly. But usually like, a few of my friends will get just about everything. Like Even when I'm growing other strains of whatever, like looking for moms and pheno you know, hunting stuff, I definitely pass them off to friends so that if I want to get them back later, I can. Or just, like I know they're not gonna get that far, and if they do, it's fine. Like If, if I don't want something out there, I'm not gonna let it out. Like the Star Pupil clone, nobody has that so I don't have to worry about it and then I can't get mad because nothing you know nobody can do the wrong thing because it's just I believe everything is for every human everything is your own fault so whatever you do with circumstances you are, you're in like it's because of something did or that you're doing or whatever like to an extent so yeah, if you want people to grow your clone let people grow your clone if you don't want people to breed with your clone don't let people have it and that's it
0: yeah I think that's one of the most universal truths I've learned from all the interviews is that when you give something out even just to one friend it's out
1: well yeah because I've been given clones by people that are like hey I'm not allowed to give you this Like, I'm going to die if anyone finds out so just don't tell anyone that you have this and then I'm like alright cool thanks and then I'm like, all right, don't trust that person with my clones. Yeah, no, <laughs> you know? I, I like, agree. I mean, I would trust them with the clone to the extent that I know they might give it to somebody else. And usually that's fine with me, but if it wasn't, like, that's your lesson right there. You just learned that, like, you can't, you can't trust people because every single person's going to give you some kind of secret. Or, like, you know, when you tell somebody a secret, they tell one other person. So... Every person you tell a secret to you're telling 10 people or like if you tell someone that you grow like 10 people find out yeah. it's, it's along the same lines of that and it's fine. Like it's it's not even a bad thing. It's just life It's like a lesson that everybody should just know about and You can compensate for it and make good decisions
0: Yeah, I agree So if we just loop back to a point you made you said uh, you'd actually learn a lot of things from D-man over the years d Man's well-known breeder for anyone who hasn't heard of him, he's actually a little—he's well recognized within the scene, but I think he's a little lesser known, which is a little bit of a shame because he's been around for ages. But here's where the question's actually going: Was that initially when you were learning stuff from him? Was that via like online forums and stuff? Like, were you around back then, or was this much more of like a personal contact?
1: Um, was, it was a little bit more recent. I am on his forums, but uh, we started talking um basically i saw that he had acapulco gold which was like one of the strands that my mom had talked about from her day so it was, it, was, it was a little before me like i never got to smoke it like fresh off the truck or wherever the hell it came from in a brick you know but um anyways i saw that he had that and i started talking to him and like somehow we just started talking a bunch and now we just like text and stuff so Anyways, like, he taught me a whole bunch of stuff because he was like, dude, what the hell, like, you're a little bit younger and you're interested in, like, these strains the land races, like, that's really cool, like, everybody these days just wants, like, OG push and stuff, and you're here asking me about Acapulco gold and, like, growing my Panamas now, and anyways, like, we just got off to, like, we're, like, straight on the same foot right away, and just, like, vibes super well, and... I was already like, you know, I was growing and making seeds a little and telling him about those. And I sent him some of my star pupil ones, and he was like, dude, I hate purple weed. And I was like, you do not understand. I have something special here and like, I'm, I'm not wasting your time. This shit is really strong and it's really enjoyable. Like it's not the same as most of the purple shit. That's just purple. And that's it. Like, this is, this is something I want you to try. He tried it. and." He, he was like, that's one of the first purples that I really liked. And he ended up asking me if he could breed with it because he liked it that much. So it was, it was cool. Like, he gave me stuff that I really liked. And I gave him stuff that he ended up really liking, too. And uh, one of my favorite strains of all time is his Panama Powerhouse, which is a Panama Red land race crossed with a F6 G13 Black Widow. And holy shit, just... I can't say enough about how fucking amazing
0: that strain is. Yeah, wow. I mean, it's certainly been around for a long time. It raises an interesting question in my mind. Although you just mentioned you got the Panama from D-Man, where do you go generally if you are looking to source these older genetics? Do you look to seed or just to kind of acquisition of clone?
1: Um, Definitely to seeds because... I don't usually take in many clones like I said um and when I do it's very rare for somebody to be like hey I got this clone of like I don't know 1980s like tie stick or something like I never see that in clone if I did I would take it for sure so if anybody's listening who has some you know (laughs) hit me up but um yeah I'm usually digging through seeds and just getting them from random ass like sometimes there's like a random website in uh what is it? in denmark that has like all these cool land races and stuff and some of them are recent and some of them are really old they got like some jamaicans that are 1960 crossed with 1985 open pollination jamaican sativa they're like 14 to 20 week flower so and it was just like somebody sent me a link they're just like hey check out this website they have like all these cool things so I think the seeds are really really amazing because then even if you don't find a good plant you can open pollinate and then eventually Find something that's like a little bit reasonable to work with and go from there
0: Yeah, for sure. I mean it it, it almost seems like you would never get off at a clone of Ty, right? <laughs>
1: yeah I mean, I wonder if anybody has like People definitely have some, but I don't think it's that common. Like,
0: Yeah. You've got to remember, uh, most
1: of these people are on the internet.
0: <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. Especially in Europe, there's a huge... I think I was actually talking to Kagu, and he said there's... In Europe, there's... In Spain, specifically, there's people who have, like, some of the best land races on Earth, and they hoard it, and they do not want it to get out.
1: Well, yeah, I bet. Especially, like... I always wonder when all that shit went from here to the Netherlands and then it all became like the same shit. Like all those breeders, like they must have original parental
0: stock that's actually a little bit more unique than the watered down Dutch hybrids of today, you know? Like there's gotta be a
1: lot of unique stuff still floating around.
0: Yeah, well like I mean, the easiest example you can point to is that uh, Neville has said in interviews he's still got lots of stock.
1: Yeah, I bet he has some amazing things. I know. And I know there's there's like groups in California and preservationists that have all these land races, and they have clones and seeds and everything, and they just don't give it out to anybody. And on one hand, it's awesome that they're preserving it, but I'm a little like, why wouldn't you share it? Like, you know how much this means to people, and like. It could be kind of a fresh start for a gene pool for tons of people that want to fuck around with it and try breeding a little or just preserve it themselves too. Like, I don't really, I don't know. I understand hoarding, but it gets tricky when it's like, dude, you're hoarding like the last fucking seeds of this strain that, like, yeah. you could just let out people. And it's like, especially in seed forms, like, why wouldn't
0: you? <laughs> yeah, the last pure building blocks.
1: Yeah, exactly because it's so hard to find anything really like pure these days.
0: Yeah. So something I did wanted to ask is like much of your work it draws on strains which might broadly be considered old school in general things like even flow, Evelyn, amnesia, Panama. Was this an intentional decision or is it just kind of how it worked out?
1: Oh um, I guess it's just the plants that vibe with me really. I don't like a lot of the new school kind of stuff that much. And uh, like I grow a lot of plants and a lot of them never get to see the light of day because I'm just like, fuck this plant. It sucks. Like I was smoking a few times and I'd be like, nope, not my vibe next. Like, um, and it's mostly newer stuff that tends to blend together as like the strains you don't even remember growing after a year because they just weren't anything standout. And then a lot of these standout plants that I find tend to be like a haze or a Panama or like, you know, just something a little bit older, a little bit less common for sure. Um, And it's usually because they have unique effects or unique flares or a combination of those.
0: Yeah. So do you think that it's possible to through breeding with these old land races to kind of create the next slice bread, like something that's really unique, really different, and it's gonna kind of spur off its own tree of lineage and whatnot. Or do you think that you can create something unique but it's not gonna have like the same impact as, you know, if you created like skunk back in the day or something like that?
1: Um no, you, you definitely you can change the world with a single hybrid for sure, it doesn't matter what year you're in, you could do it right now, you could do it 10 years from now, you could do it 10 years ago. Um, like, I don't know for me, like, one example would be Girl Scout Cookies, which is a strain that I really don't like. But if you think about it, it's in so many things right now. There's I could name tons of companies that exist solely because of Girl Scout Cookies, because their entire line is Girl Scout Cookies crosses something, crosses something. so for example, whoever popped that Girl Scout cookie seed and who you knows what the real story is, but there was a plant, people liked it, people bred with it, that's plain and simple. So, you know, if I make something with a couple land races in it and somebody really, really likes it, or maybe it's a clone that gets out that's like super exceptional, or maybe it's just seed stock that people breed with, like, it doesn't really matter. If you make something good and special that people like, then it's going to get used in hybrids, just like you know chem dog is in a ton of things too and that's it's just because people liked it and that's about all there is to it and like with cookies it's not even stable and people still like it like you get so many urns off it but people like something about it and it made a big dent for sure
0: so with that in mind would you let a plant which was the next slice bread to you, but it happened to throw some nanas, would that be like a red flag or would you just still go with it keeping in mind what we just said about cookies? Uh,
1: um, in what regard? Because for example when I release seeds I make sure that they're pretty damn stable that they're not going to harm all over the place and I test them and I have other people test them in their environments and I hear back from them like You know i did this and this and this and it survived it and whatever anyways um i believe first of all everybody should do some solid testing before releasing seeds unless you're saying that they're testers which is different like freebies whatever you can say like untested freebies but um if i'm releasing seeds i want to see it stable if the clone i pretty much also want to see it be really stable because I don't want to give somebody a clone and then it herms their garden, and like, you know, somebody's garden is sometimes their livelihood, and it's all they're just seeded and they can't make rent the next month because they had to toss everything. Like, that's not a good thing to happen. So I mean, you try to really minimize the possibility of, like, herming shit, and I guess the exception would be, like, sterile nanners, if you prove that the nanners have no viable pollen every single time. And you try using that pollen to make a seed and you make sure. Then like maybe in a clone only kind of thing it might be fine. Like I think Chem D I was told is gonna do that. Like it'll probably harm, but there won't be viable pollen, so don't worry about it kind of thing. So yeah. I mean in that case it's totally fine, I guess.
0: Well, I mean, it certainly feels like the devil's kind of in the details. And I was talking to Mean Jean about this at the Emerald Cup and he kind of raised this interesting question, you know. He said, what if you create a strain as a breeder and it's fire, like dead set, the best thing ever, but like 50, it, it, it's only like 50% of the phenos and the other 50% like herm And even if you work on it for a generation or two or reselect the parents, it just seems to be the inevitable outcome. Like, what do you do in that situation? Um...
1: I mean, how much better is this strain than the next best strain that you have?
0: Really, you know, good. like really, really good. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I mean, like one so one solution that got thrown around was like you offer it with that information out there and maybe at a reduced price. That was just one solution that got thrown around.
1: I usually see them at triple the price with no warning, but <laughs> I'm not going to get into that. <laughs> I see a lot of breeders putting out current packs for 300 bucks and they don't even have the warning on them but you hear it through people and then you try it and you see it's true but anyways yeah i think the right thing to do is either you don't release it or you release it with that warning and probably as a freebie with the warning like i don't know even if it's really fucking good you don't have to sell it if it's if it's going to cause problems and yeah, I don't know. I would I would probably say don't sell Hermie stuff. Uh, <laughs> even if you have a warning. It's probably just better not to because somebody's gonna trade that pack and they're gonna lose the warning and the next person's gonna get fucked over and he's gonna be mad at you, the breeder. And I don't know, it's too much. There's so many other good plants that you don't need to worry about, like crazy herm rates
0: Yeah, of course. It's kinda of like as we're having this conversation, it dawns on me how like kind of funny it is. Like, yeah, you probably shouldn't sell Hermes seeds. <laughs> 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 um, So, what do you think about this idea of breeders who release lines with new parents each cycle, whether it be due to laziness or due to the fact that it, there could be some advantages to doing so? Do you think any potential advantages are offset by potential disadvantages or what do you think of that idea in general?
1: Um, If you're going to do that, you just have to tell people and you have to test each generation before you release it So let's say you're first you make this new strain and then you release it and it's the F1s And then the next year you run out of those so you make some F2s Like just tell people that it's F2s and then test those F2s and see like okay Maybe there's a little bit different things coming out of here like explain that Like, a problem I have with a lot of seeds is that there's zero information when you buy them from a lot of breeders. There's just a name and the cross, and that's it. And that kind of sucks because, I don't know, I try to give out the information on my strains that I would want to see if I was buying it from somebody else. So, like, I'll, I'll put out as much information as I can think of, and then if people ask me questions, I'll even add that to my description where I can, like, on my website and stuff. Like, try to be super thorough And, I don't know, just so people know what they're getting. Like, if if you're buying a certain strain and then it's totally different from what you bought last year but it's from a breeder and it's because they use different parents, like, I don't know, I would want to know that it's version 2 or version 5. Like, some, some breeders have, like, a couple versions of the same strain and they're labeled that. And maybe there's not much info, but at least you know, like, okay, I grew V3 last year and now I'm growing V5 versus, like, just expecting the same thing when it's not because no two parents are going to combine the same ever they might be close but definitely not the same
0: yeah okay and how do you feel about f2s that get sold which then are kind of you know crazy high pricing because something i hear people which they say to me is is there's a bit of a question mark over the F2s in the sense that from a breeding point of view, it could be more ideal, but from a consumer point of view, it's probably less ideal because as you loosely referenced, you're going to get things popping up, which probably not intended. Like, I mean, when you make an F1, I don't think many people think about, yeah, so when I eventually make some F2s, like I definitely want people to have one of these grandparent phenos popping up. Like, I just think it's a totally not a thought that goes through your mind, and so the, 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 the criticism I hear is that, you know, effectively you're going to get less phenotypes, which you would see in the F1s, which is probably what you're looking for, right? And, um, and then likewise, it's kind of like sometimes F2s can be done quite improperly with small selection pools and whatnot. Like, how do you feel about the F2 offering in general?
1: Um, I never understood why people ask for more money for an F2. I always thought it should be the opposite of F2. is like, okay, you got lazy, you didn't keep your parents, and you can't recreate the same seat, so you're doing the next best thing you can. <laughs> or you yeah. could look at it the other way and say you're taking it a generation forward and doing more work and more selections, which is also true. But in that case, it kind of evens out. It's like a plus and a minus. But it, it really depends what your style is and what you're trying to offer. Um, like, D-Man likes to release F2s for almost a preservation type reason where it's like you have more phenos that are coming out and there's a little more variety um, than the solid F1 where there's just like let's say two phenos and four phenos that are very tight. Maybe your F2 will open it up a little bit and offer more diversity, which in some cases is really important and in other cases it is your worst enemy. It just depends what you want to grow and why. So i think there's room for everything there's room for like super worked lines there's room for solid f1s that can be reproduced by the breeder with the same parents every time there's room for f2s and f3s and i like to use f2s sometimes like in an f1 hybrid you know like make something take it to f2 and then cross that f2 like find what you're looking for in f2 and just cross it to another mother or something like that and sometimes you can pull out some really unique stuff that way. Um, yeah. So I don't know there's 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 just a reason for everything so it just depends what you're going for and why.
0: So I mean you referenced the uh, the $300 packs of seeds and I'm sure many people can think of even more expensive ones than that. What's your position on seed pricing? Do you think that it should just be like a capitalist thing, where you know people set their own prices and the market determines supply and demand, or do you think that there should be some sort of—I don't want to say like pricing structure, but like essentially, you know, you can't just go ripping people off with F ones versus maybe some other project which has got a lot of work being put into it. Where do you sit on it?
1: Yeah, pricing is always tricky because. Like you said, like you can price something and then just see if people buy it or not. But like, in my opinion, the best thing to do is like price fairly. So whatever fair is to you, and obviously everybody has a different uh, image of like what fair means. Like for me, my prices had to go up like a, a year or two ago because it just wasn't cutting, and I was working way too hard for what I was getting, and it wasn't quite adding up. So. I just had to change it a little and I felt bad even raising it. So I was like, we'll see how it goes and put it a little higher and that will allow me to do everything that I need to do and bring out some awesome stuff. And Hopefully people will be happy with it. And then I saw people charging three or five times as much as I was charging anyways. I was like, all right, I don't feel that bad. Like This is what's fair to me. This works for me. This will hopefully work for the people that want to grow my strains. At least most of them can afford it. Um, I don't know, I think that's just me though. Like every breeder has their own vibe and some people's vibe is like, let me charge 500 for this pack and only the people that really want it can have it. And like, I understand that. And, like sometimes if I have something more limited, it's almost on that kind of, it's not going to be 500 bucks, but it's going to be a little more expensive because there's so little amount of packs that it's like, this is only going to exist one time and whoever can get this is like your only little chance. And then it's just gone. But for whatever reason, like sometimes there's a mom that you can grow her a giant and you still get a very low amount of seeds off it and then it's just like that this is what you're left with and like or maybe you lost the clone and it gets more rare because of that, you can never make the seeds again, or you lost both parents and it's super out of the question or whatever. Like if something's rare, maybe charge more if something. Super, like, if if you put a fuck ton of work into something and you can prove it and it's really, really awesome, like, charge whatever you want for it. But the only problem I have with seed pricing is when stuff is expensive and it's bad or it's unstable. Like, there's a couple pretty well known breeders out there that are charging anywhere from a hundred to a few hundred bucks and their stuff is very loaded with Hermes all over the place and undesirable phenotypes. And, you know, there's there's certain ones that people just know. I mean, a lot of people don't know, but people that know, know that you got to pop five packs and you find that one keeper that looks like the photo and then that's going to be your one that doesn't Herm and then hopefully from there it's good smoke if you're lucky. And it's like, why go through that bullshit when you, like, spend 70 bucks on, like, a Bodie pack and just, you know
0: it's almost always something good <laughs> yeah i can definitely attest to that and you you're kind of hitting on a point which i really wanted to bring up because something that i've noticed happens more often than not is that there are people maybe shady's not the right word but as you described charging a lot for things which shouldn't be priced that high especially given there may be hermes or things like that and there are certainly lots of people within the scene and the community who are aware of this and are aware of the, the, the types of results you're going to get but more often than not nothing gets said because people don't want to rock the boat do you think that it's a bit of a mistake that we're in this mindset because so often you know it just seems like that's the case where people know the shady things that are going on but just no one says anything
1: dude that's such a good point and it's really tough because as a breeder myself I don't want to make enemies and even just as a grower as a person who likes to plant I don't want to make enemies and I know that if I go call someone out on their bullshit that really quickly is gonna be like all right this person doesn't like you but guess what all his friends fucking hate you too and then you know it becomes a war and there's, there's no time for that like I I don't know it's really tricky because the best thing that I can do is just do my best and try to encourage people like to see that like hey, this is what I stand for, and this is how I think things should be. And then if somebody asks me directly, like, do you have experience with so-and-so a breeder or so-and-so strain, I can tell them, like, "Eh, yeah, it's all Hermes, unfortunately, but whatever, like, I don't know. It's pretty tricky. Just, I don't know. And I don't think everyone should be as quiet about it as they are. I do see people commenting once in a while, but most people do stay quiet, and I think it's just because people are scared of getting enemies and then like the more popular you get, the more you don't want to have enemies. Like, I don't know. I totally stay out of drama whenever possible, but at the same time, I feel really bad for like the people who just don't know that they're about to waste their money on someone else's ear. But like, I don't know, as, as my own self, I can't be like, Hey, don't buy that strain, Buy my strain. Like mine's stable. His isn't like that just looks shitty. So I'm not going to do that.
0: Yeah. It's a tough one to navigate. So, I mean, in general, how do you feel about the state of our community in general? I think at the moment, we're kind of at a bit of a low point in terms of the internal drama. Like, I think if you look back a couple months ago, there was a lot of drama going on. It seems like we're kind of, you know, things are all pretty chill at the moment. Do you think this is things are better this way or did you think, like, that the drama generates necessary conversation? How do you feel about it? Um...
1: I don't know. I, I probably missed whatever drama you're talking about because I think there's certain people that need to be called out that maybe haven't, but I'm not going to do it. Um, especially because I have no personal problems with them. It's more of just seeing what's, what people are doing, whatever. Like, I don't know. I, I think drama is not good, but at the same time, people need to know what's going on. Like, um, I don't know everybody's in their own kind of circles and their own zones and whatever and some people have a really wide scope and view of like what's going on with everyone and other people are like yeah i only follow like this guy this guy and this guy and that's all i know and i'm cool with it and that's fine too so there's like i don't i don't really know what's the big picture because i kind of stick with, like i vibe with specifically and i usually ignore the drama just because like when there's drama i do know there's always two sides to it like even if one of them's your friend and one of them's your enemy like they both have partial truths and you don't know where it sits so it's like i'm gonna stay out of that personally and just go by like how that person's affected me directly or what i see directly
0: from them and just take it from there yeah so one of the topics we love to chat about on this show, the roadkill skunk, you know, very elusive origins, hard to pin down, everyone's got some cool stories about it. Do you have any experiences with the roadkill skunk by any chance?
1: Yeah, um, my opinion on the skunk is that, basically like there's, everybody searching for this strain that smells just like a skunk, and I've had it a couple of times. Um, I mean, I've had different strains, that have that quality, whether one of them was actually called skunk and a couple others were just other strains. And something interesting that I noticed that I wanted to talk about with that was um, a lot of times you get a bag of weed and it just smells like a skunk, but that's like before you even open it. And it smells super skunky through the bag. And then when you open it and you smell it, sometimes it's totally different which would also mean that when you're growing it on the plant it might totally not really smell like a skunk at the moment but then when you get it in the right conditions whether it's in a bag or maybe in a certain temperature or something like that then the skunkiness comes out more and it seems like a lot of times that skunk smell experience is like smelling it through a bag or smelling it like from a distance or something like that because um, recently somebody gave me some bud And I smelled it. Like, I just smelled the bag that he gave me. I didn't even open it because it smelled so strong through it. And it was straight skunk. And I was like, dude, this smells so skunky. And he looked at me like I was an idiot. Like, I didn't know what I was talking about. And he's like, what? And then he's like, dude, take it out and smell it. Like, it's totally butter. It's creamy. It's OG. It's not skunky at all. And I opened it and I cracked it a little bit. And he was so right. It was completely different than when the bag was sealed. And it was just like only those skunk terps were permeating through the bag or whatever. So that's definitely a thing with the skunk. I think it's certain terpenes that will come out in certain conditions and they can definitely be masked by other ones when you're actually like up close with the bud.
0: Yeah, see, that's really interesting. It's like, I, you know, never had anyone really suggest that. So that's some good food for thought. But the first thing that jumps to mind for me is that it would almost indicate that maybe this skunky profile that people are chasing is actually a more simplistic one, so to speak. And as you said, the bag is kind of filtering certain, maybe more complex, just for whatever reason, terpenes that aren't making it through. And, and what we're looking for is actually more of a simple profile than a super complex one, per se.
1: Yeah, definitely. And it could be just a, a terpene that's like one single terpene or maybe a certain combination that really permeates through the bag and then, like you said, it's holding in all the finer, more complex ones, which may actually smell stronger once you do get to them by opening the bag and smelling the bone.
0: Yeah, okay. That's, yeah, that's definitely some food for thought. So, did you ever smoke any growing up or do you have any cool stories about anything you smoked while growing up? Yeah,
1: Um. I mean, I got skunk one time i don't know what skunk it was it was just skunk when i got it from the dude and it was just straight up that one smelled like a skunk even without the bag but especially through the bag like i was trying to hide that smell i didn't know about glass jars yet because i was just starting to smoke and my whole everywhere everywhere i went with that thing just smelled like a skunk behind me but um yeah i got some cool stories um Oh, yeah, this is a fun one. So one of the first few times that I smoked, it was back when, like, smoking was still an adventure. It was, like, not casual yet for me and my friends. So it was, like, dude, I know this spot. We can get some weed. I was in um, Albany with a couple of friends, like, staying for a weekend with them. And he was, like, you're not even going to believe this, but I know where we can get this weed. In the city, there's, like, this house that you have to go to. There's, like, kind of an apartment building, and then you walk down this hall, and then there's a door, and you, like, knock on the door, and it's called a knock-knock house, and the dude sticks his fingers through the thing, and then he asks you what you want, and I'm like, dude, that's so bullshit, that's not a real thing, and basically, we went, and he was like, I know what street it's on, we just gotta find the right house, like, we'll just try it, and so, like, (laughs) three of us went, and, uh, we went into this building he's like, yes, yeah, this red one here and we we go in and then we knock on this door, nothing happens. So he opens the door and we just walk in and we're just in this dude's kitchen and he's just like smoking a bong. And so we're like, all right, yeah, this must be it. And it turned out we just like walked in some random person's apartment that was like not the right thing at all. <laughs> and he just happened to be smoking weed too. And then <laughs> we're just like, oh sorry, I think we're at the wrong place. And we went back in the hall and then we went down the hall and found the actual one. And I'm dead serious. It was like my friend knocked on the door and this dude stuck his fingers through the mail slot. Like you know those like horizontal mail slot things. Yeah. And he's like, Yo, look inside, here's the menu. And it was like three things. I don't remember what the first one was, but it was there was like Miz and then there was green crack. And the Miz was gram. And the green crack was 25 a gram, which is the highest that I've ever paid for anything. And my buddy was just like, dude, I hear the mids, spray great with Windex. Like, we can't get the mids. You got to get the, the good stuff. And I was like, holy shit, all right. So we we just got into this green crack, and it was 25 bucks. And I just remember it so distinctly because it was like some of the strongest smelling stuff ever. It was green with, like, these purple streaks in it. And basically, we put it in his car, and we went around the city and stuff. And then, like, when we were going back to his car, we could smell it across the street, and all his windows were up and everything. It was a single gram in there. So it was just like, I don't know. I wish somehow I could get that cut because, like, the intensity of the smell was so crazy. And then when we smoked it, like, we all just started freaking out and we all thought it was laced and like they had smoked many, many times more than I had at that point. And they were just like, I think this shit's laced, dude. Like I feel the blood rushing through my like, veins, through my whole body and shit. It was just wild. But I've had a few different times like that in New York just getting like the most ridiculous weed ever. And to this day, I mean, I don't know if it was laced or not, but probably not because usually people don't lace me. Yeah. I don't
0: know. <laughs> usually. <laughs> yeah. So, something I wanted to bring up, because I know that you do dabble in it, is like Cobb LED Lightings. Could you give us a little bit of a rundown with your experience and any information you have to share?
1: Oh yeah. So, uh, basically COB is a chip on board. It's like these full spectrum LEDs with a white light. You can see everything in like real color and all that. And I saw these videos on YouTube where this guy was like, yeah, I get like 1.8, 1.9 prints per watt with these. And you have to build them yourself, but they're better than any lights you can get out there. And I'm just like, what? Like, that's crazy. Build a light yourself. I don't, I don't get it. And it was super technical and all that. But eventually I took the time to figure out what he was talking about and how it all worked and stuff. And, um, basically studied everything he was saying and all kinds of things about light spectrum for a couple weeks with my brother and We developed like a really good spectrum by like combining different chips and I built this light and I just Started using it. I was so blown away because I've always been at least like the last few years I've been using LEDs just because I like them a lot more than HPS. I always find like better more unique terpenes and just like less generic but i feel like the plant can express itself better under leds but then when i switched to the cobs it was like again it was like a whole nother level of like just the plants expressing to their fullest potential indoors i mean you would see stuff like outdoors you see pink hairs on some strains and then indoors you almost never see that And then under the cobs, I started seeing that, like everything was praying and flowering a little bit faster and super healthy. And then, yeah, I'm just super hooked on the cob lighting because basically I chopped down a few plants under it. And I'm like, yeah, you know, this looks like X amount of bud, like, I don't know, 100 grams, let's say, for example. And then like, turns out to be like 200. Like every single time it's like double what it looks like. It's just like super dense super heavy yields and like the same or better quality than i'm used to so i recommend to people try out the cob lights they're just super crazy um and i switched like almost all my fixtures over to cobs in the last year or so after using that one for maybe a year or something like that yeah okay um i recommend to people if they're growing under cobs make sure or even out any leds keep your temperatures at like 82 degrees because if you go lower than that you're gonna have like some nutrient deficiencies that are basically in short it's related to the leaf temperature um it has to do with the whole spectrum and what nutrients the plant needs a little bit more of because of the spectrum and anyways if you keep your temperatures like at least in the low 80s you won't have any issues but if you keep them like 75 like HPS temperatures, you're gonna get like magnesium deficiencies and stuff. So something to consider just for like really good results
0: Yeah, that's awesome info. Have you fiddled around at all with the far red UV initiators at all?
1: Yeah, those are crazy actually so I put those in too and basically when I started um, Flowering with those, they would go on for like 15 minutes, right? The lights go out, and it simulates um like the sunset outside, and it puts the plants to sleep faster. And it essentially, gives them two hours more of darkness, according to whoever developed it. And I was pretty skeptical, but it was scientifically proven by all kinds of whoever the hell studied shit and so. Sure enough, it makes your plants flower really, really fast. And I noticed that basically, I think it was like day 14 looked like day 21 on like every plant in the room. And I did a whole bunch of different strains in there. And just everything flowered super fast. Um, It's basically the initiation of flower. The first few weeks that go a lot faster, like you really notice in a few days, like, damn, these things are already flowering. And then like a week later, it's like really really flowering so um, I recommend those if if you're trying to speed up your cycle by like five to seven days or so
0: yeah wow that's some awesome info as well
1: yeah and definitely for sativas because some sativas like um you know 11 hours of light or 10 hours of light and I know a lot of growers just want to use 12 so if you do that and you're basically Giving them, you're still giving them your 12 hours of light, but then you're giving them the equivalent to like 14 hours of dark or something like that, just because they process the fact that it's nighttime sooner. Yeah, of course.
0: You'll
1: have more flower hormone.
0: Killer. So, in regards to your flowering cycle, then besides the cobs and the fire red initiated chip, do you do anything outside of the norm when you're in flower? Yeah,
1: definitely. So um, I've always, for the last few years, have been flowering under 11 hours of light and then 13 hours of dark. And I heard it from DJ Short, who said, like, yeah, we'll kind of make your plants be a little bit more sativa in characteristics. Even if you're growing indicas, it will kind of give them a little energy, a little kick to them. And I thought that was interesting because it's kind of more of a tropical light cycle and that's where the plants evolved to these more sativa phenotypic expressions. So I basically tried a side-by-side with a couple clones. And one really cool thing was that this um, was Viper City OG from Moxie, which I only grew it a couple times, but under 12 hours of light, and these are both under the same temperatures, under 12 hours of light, it was totally green. And it smelled like super generic. I don't like nothing memorable whatever. And then like under 11 it went totally purple with like just insane, like really, really nice smell and color and everything. And I was like, damn, that's the same clone in like the same, just about the same environment, just a different life cycle. And it like really, really improved the plant and it went a few days faster and flowered. So it was like the same kind of ripeness on the trichomes and all that. So that was like my first um, first time seeing that. Like, damn, this life cycle thing makes a difference. And they both yielded very similar. Like, a lot of people are scared. They're like, oh, we're I gonna lose yield? And I think that might depend on what you're growing. Like, maybe some plants will like it more and some won't. But i've been flowering under 11 hours and combined with the cobs i've seen over two grams per watt type of yield so i don't think it really reduces yield um but i definitely notice that a lot of what i grow is very like uplifting even when i grow into because it's pretty functional and stuff like that so um i do like growing and breeding under 11 hours and then i veg under 17 because the best cycle has the same effect. It's kind of, it's going to kind of like make your plant evolve over time. You know, whatever conditions you keep a clone in, especially if it's for many, many years. Um, Like if you're doing 24 hours versus 18 or 17, it's just going to, the plant's going to shift ever so slightly just from being in a different environment.
0: Yeah. So outside of that legendary green crack, did you ever have any other cuts, which left a lasting impression in your mind?
1: Yeah, there was um, this one time I smoked a split of White Widow, and I don't usually mix with tobacco, but once in a while I would back then. And actually, I like the thing that Bodhi said about mixing cannabis and tobacco, where it kind of gives you that grounding effect and like that masculinizing effect towards like a feminine plant. So once in a great while, if you smoke a split, it can be super, super therapeutic. But anyways, it was this white widow smoked it in a slip. and I just remember like as soon as we were done smoking it we were in the woods we just sat down on the ground didn't talk for like half an hour and it was just like the, one of the most psychedelic smokes I've ever had and it's funny because you know white widow is like the pretty common strain I guess like in the commercial uh field whatever you want to call it and but it's never really that good these days. And this White Widow, I smoked it a couple times, but this first time I smoked it especially, it was always so good, but, like, I just remember, like, not being able to read, like, letters and shit, because it was just, like, I don't know, it was just, like, this whole different headspace that was so foreign, and, like, it wasn't even uncomfortable that I couldn't read anything, it was just, like, every letter was a picture, and, like, super, super trippy, so, I don't know, like, I've grown White Widow and I've smoked White Widow since then from plenty of places and plenty of different seed stocks and whatever. And i just never found a White Widow that came close to that one. And that was, it wasn't that long ago, that White Widow. I don't know, it was probably eight years ago or something. Maybe nine years ago, I don't know. But, yeah, I don't know. Where's the White, where's a good White Widow? (laughs)
0: <laughs> yeah i'd like to know that too
1: yeah all the other ones i've smoked lately either put you to sleep or they're super bland and like not really much flavor or much effect just like regular
0: ass meat. i smoked some white rhino a while back well, not that long back probably about a year ago and um fuck it was good man it like wasn't the same in a lot of ways but there was a lot of aspects of it that reminded me of smoking skelly in the states and it was just such a mind-blowing thing i was like what no way
1: oh that's awesome i love when you just get something that's like even if it's not the same it's like close to something you had in the past and it's so reminiscent and it's like just amazing no matter what it is
0: yeah just bring it back so, if we kind of jump to a slightly related topic, but a little bit off field. Living in Massachusetts, what's it like with the medical laws there? I mean, I know things have changed recently, but for the longest period of time, people had always said that it was, you know, it wasn't the most friendly state to be in. How have you found it? And how does it look for you going forward?
1: Um, it's interesting. It's definitely less chill than some places and it's a lot better than a lot of places and i'm super super grateful to be where i am and at this time um like it's a relatively safe environment to do what i do sometimes it's a little scary and there's all this you know it, it's definitely not perfect like at our weed events you can't have weed you can there's season stuff but like we're doing a Event at Canacon, which is like this event in Boston, and they're like, Yeah, you can't bring flower to display. Like, I wanted to bring a little branch of star pupil flowering and put in water so people could smell it and see what it's like. And they're just like, You absolutely cannot do that. You can't give away what you can't display. Like, no THC allowed. And I'm like, Okay, fine. Like, whatever. You know, it's not the end of the world. But in, in that kind of sense, it's a serious environment here. But it makes sense because to me, Massachusetts, at least the area I'm in, it's a lot of people that don't like weed and it's a miracle that we have weed legalized here. So I'm pretty grateful for the whole thing and our medical programs like better than some places, although it's not the best, it's definitely not the worst. So to me, it's like wherever in the world you are, you, you adapt. You either move or you adapt so whatever works for you you, yeah. you work with it or you find a way and uh so our whole legalization thing is like huge mess here
0: <laughs> and so something i wanted to ask you was that we don't see you at a stack of events. However, you know, obviously you just mentioned the Canacon. Is this more of a geographical location issue or are you just not so into, like, the high times and all that stuff?
1: Um, actually, I've been to a bunch of events, but I don't usually... I don't want to show my face, like, as... I don't know, I'm, I'm the overly paranoid person because I learned from people that grew in, like, total prohibition and I learned from the books that teach you, like... The craziest ass way of staying safe so you don't get caught and so even like meeting people from online I never met anyone until a couple years ago because I was so scared that like the first person I is just gonna be that agent that's gonna take me away forever from my family and possessions and just like fuck up my life so it, it's still a transition of being like realizing like things are okay you can talk to people like I was scared as hell to do this interview but i so badly want to like talk about all these things that i love so like i don't know things are things are safer than i thought but at the same time there's always that risk because it's like everything in massachusetts and in this country is just gray area so all like you know every day on instagram you see these people posting selfies with like 5,000 plants behind them and they're like this is my full name and I'm growing 5,000 cannabis plants and look how awesome I am. And it's like, only so many people can do that before one of them just gets, like, taken to jail, you know? Like, I'm like, what the fuck are you guys doing? Like, this shit's a little sketchy, don't you think? So, I I don't know. That's kind of why I've been more private the whole time. Just because I've been a little uncomfortable with the whole, like, how public can you really go before like something bad happens to you
0: <laughs> and so moving forward do you think you will be a bit more out in the open or are you just kind of gonna still kind of take care of yourself
1: um I mean I'm pretty private myself I have a pretty small circle of people and then um, I'd like to be at more events and stuff like that I usually when I go to events it's usually just like there's a couple specific people I want to meet that are either at the event or going to the event as like a, a person going to the event. So it's like, you know, like someone on Instagram, is like, yeah, we've been talking for a year. Like we should link up and both go into this event. Um, so I'll usually go to events and do that like in private, but I'm not like wearing a huge red flag. That's like, Hey, I'm mass medical strains. And the last couple of events, like some people started coming up to me and be like, Hey, mass medical strains. And I'm like, Oh shit. People are learning who I am. I'm scared, but it's, I don't know. We'll see. We'll see where it goes. I definitely would like to be more public because I like talking about plants and sharing all these good things and stuff like that. So there's like a lot of good stuff, but just got to stay safe at the same time.
0: Yeah, okay. And so the last question about Massachusetts, do you have access to labs and the testing facilities that people in, say, California or Colorado have access to? And do you utilize them? Do you see the value in it?
1: Yeah, it's really awesome. Um, So, like, you can just go to a lab and bring your weed there and they test it for you, like, within a few days and you don't have to tell them who you even are. Like, you can... I put mass medical strains, but I don't have to give an ID or my real name or anything and then you know they just put it online and they email it to you or whatever you want them to do but it's super relaxed in that sense you can learn a lot about your growing and your strains and the effects a little bit i mean effects are more subjective and experiential but you can still get some interesting numbers out of everything and then you know like you grow something you're like why does this smell like this okay it has this terpene and then you're like what does this terpene do medicinally? And then you're like, oh shit, it boosts memory. No no wonder like this strain always like really helps me when I need to think or remember shit. It's like, that's why. And you can kind of learn a little bit more about the plant through the lab results sometimes. But then other times, I mean, I've had really strong shit test out at like 10 to 15% on occasion. So that's THC, so. You know there's more to it than lab
0: results at the same time but they're really really awesome in general yeah okay so something i love to talk to everyone about clone deterioration or genetic drift however you want to term it do you believe in it or do you think it's just uh it's just poor maintenance
1: um so all my clones pretty much get treated the same and i treat them pretty well overall like you know keeping them healthy and then I always take extra clones and just keep the healthiest rooted one and, you know, some pretty good cloning practices and keeping it in a nice environment as best as I can. And I've noticed most clones stay the same. And then, you know, when you grow a clone differently, you're going to get slightly different expressions off of it. And sometimes you can get really something different off it if you change something drastically. But then if you go back to what you're doing before, it goes back to how it grew before. So you're not really changing anything. You're just flowering it differently. And then on the other hand, I had a cut of the Evelyn and every single time I grew it, it was a completely different plant. One time it was almost entirely green, one time it was like totally black, one time it was red and one time it was purple and there was a little different smells coming out and it's like every generation that I grew it, it just changed and it wasn't the environment changing, it was just maybe it getting older or something. And then a friend of mine said, Oh yeah, like all the stuff that grown from that breeder does the same thing, that genetic line, like they just change over time as clones. And um so I think genetically there's certain plants that may drift over times because they're not expecting to live for multiple years because usually cannabis outside will die in the winter. So especially like I don't know, I, I would assume something that originates from like a more tropical uh not tropical like a more like cold ass climate uh where it would never have the chance to live a year and then it lives a year and might start doing some weird shit versus other plants that they don't really care um but then if you keep a clone in cheap condition unhealthy whatever problems like It can deteriorate, but I think you can also revive it for sure. It's pretty easy. I mean, if you know how to grow organically, it's pretty easy to bring it back. You just grow it healthy for a while. You can put it outside in the sun for like a month or two and then take clones off it and bring it back inside and obviously make sure it doesn't have any bugs that you're going to bring in. But the sun really does wonders for rejuvenating cuts when you need to. And really, like, if I get a clone... And it's grown synthetically and like let's say it comes in some soil or whatever and I know there's salts in there like I'll grow it for a bit I'll transplant it up to like some organic soil but the salts are already in there to me so I'm like I'm gonna grow it big and then take some new clones grow those totally organically and then I'll flower it so that is kind of cleaning up and kind of getting towards my growing style a little bit more and like at the same time, it's adapting to my LED and my little bit of grow rooms and all that stuff.
0: Yeah, makes sense. So you referenced not bringing any bugs inside. If that were to happen, what would your IPM treatment or go-to regime be?
1: Um, pretty much beneficial predators have been the best thing that I've ever used. Um, like, I used to use Azimax in veg because it was supposed to be organic. And then now they they came out saying, like, yeah, there's also these banned pesticides secretly in here. So, you know, I stopped using that real quick. And I was like, fuck. But luckily, I had only used that veg because in flour, you never want to spray anything. Like, even foliar sprays in flour, like, you're going to smoke out at the end. And people don't realize that. But anyways, um, basically... My number one IPM is, like, I generally don't take in clones, and I don't go in my room unless I'm clean. Like, I usually take care of the gardens in the morning, so I'll just take a shower before I go in. And I'll have, like, a garden outfit that I'll wear for, like, a couple weeks at a time, like, just when I go in there, and then I'll change out a it and, like, keep it clean. Or, you know, just don't go in there, like, if, if you've been in a grow or if you've been outside even, like, if you've touched any plants, like, dude, there's gotta be some some eggs on your skin or some shit that's gonna, like, fuck up your growth, so. I just stay super clean when I go in there so that I don't have to spray anything and I don't have to constantly buy predator bugs to take care of issues. And then, you know, sometimes something will come in, I'll get, like, some thrips or aphids or whatever, and you can get these predator bugs that will eat them all. And they literally eat all of them until they're super gone and you won't see them again. And that's just the best because there's no chemicals involved at all and it's the most natural way. It's the same thing that happens outside.
0: Yeah, I agree. And just as a little point I wanted to add in there, I've heard a few people like, I guess like the undertone in their voices, they're being critical of predator mites and they're like, yeah, but what about like the predator mites pooing and stuff like that? And uh, the 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 thing I wanted to quickly point out is that the predator mites largely are not on the buds. They're on the leaves. And you don't you don't smoke those, really. And the amount they poo is minimal because they bioconvert into, like, recreating babies instead of pooping heaps. So, yeah, just a little FYI for anyone out there who's wondering. Because that's something like I always hear. They're like, aren't you just, like, solving one problem but it's, like, causing the same problem in a way? And it's like, well, not really. But um, anyway, just to jump to a bit of a different topic... What do you think will be some of the future varieties and or flavors that are going to storm the scene? And do you try to predict that to a certain extent? Like, I mean, imagine if you had made Putang back when tangi had first came out, you know, you can only assume that it would have rid that wave of popularity a little more. Do you actively think about that at all?
1: No, because honestly, like, even though I I release seeds for people to grow and stuff, I'm pretty much just breeding for myself what I want to make and what I like and think is good, and, um, I don't really know what's out there sometimes for weed, like, there was a lot of times, like, I'll go, like, half a year or a year without smoking, like, anybody else's weed, and then at one point, I'm like, what is weed supposed to be like? Like, let me get some weed from somewhere else, just, like, make sure I'm still doing a good job, like, I don't even know anymore, like, what... Whether people's weed is like, so a lot of times I'm in my own world with that just because there's not that many organic growers out here, um, that I know personally at least, so um and then like with the scene and all that what they want, I don't really know what the fuck they want because I feel like the people that uh, seek out my like really unique strains or they're kind of land race based, like they're people that are looking for something different than the norm, and then I mean, people that are looking for star people, they just want purple weed that gets them high and that's tasty and all that. So, like, I don't know. I feel like I have something for just about everyone. Like, that's part of why I read with the glue at one point was because, like, I knew I had a way to improve it and a a way to kind of use something popular and good that people want to, like, put my own twist to it. So, usually I just kind of make what I want to see because, I don't know, like... When I go to a dispensary, it's all this, like, most of the menu is stuff that I don't want to smoke, so I just don't go there. I'm just like, this is bullshit. Everything's gas. I don't really like gas. Everything's cookies. I can't smoke cookies because it just has bad reaction with My physiology, I just freak out when, even if it's in a cross, like, my body's just like, no, don't smoke that. So I've learned after 15, you know, different cookies crosses that, like, okay, it just... It just doesn't buy with you just don't smoke that so a big variety of what's out there just don't smoke and I just smoke what I want to smoke and then like if I hear something cool like oh shit like this grower just grew like an old school haze or like some wacky hybrid of like Nigerian something I'm like dude hell yeah like I'll try some of that but I'm not gonna go try like wedding cake or some kind of like something something like that you know it's just not for me so even though it's the trendy stuff right now but most of the trendy stuff is like not what i'm into
0: and so i don't know why but this just springs to mind just kind of loosely referencing earlier on when you were talking to d-man and saying this you know star is not like other purple weed would you ever consider doing like a star purple a star pupil sorry Cross to like a purple strand like you know, an Urkel or a granddaddy purple like just for the lols. <laughs>
1: yeah, um, I actually have a little thing in the works right now with that because I found a purple that I really liked um from Inspector, he sent me a bunch of his Mendo F1 to work with and It's a Mendo purse cross with his Pakistani and um they were really, really unique, because to me, at least they did not smell like a purple. I also grew, like, some Mendo Purps, S1s, just to get an idea of, like, the Mendo Purps, because I hadn't grown the clone. But I got an idea for that, but then I grew out the F1s, which were the regular seeds with the, the Packy cross. And I really liked them. I was like, damn, this is another purple that, like... You know, it gets you actually high. It had a really unique effect for me. I couldn't go in the grow room when I smoked it, which kind of sucked. But what would happen is the lights would just fucking do this strobing thing in my vision whenever I would smoke it. And that's, you know, it was uncomfortable. But at the same time, like, dude, give that to people that want to party and they're going to love you. You know, if it really, like, fucks with your vision, that's, like, a unique effect versus just, like... normal high it's like if there's something more to it and the flavor was really really cool i was having so much trouble describing it but it was a really really bright it wasn't much of a purple smell until i cured it for like two months but it was really bright and like i don't know creamy vanilla with a little tiny dash of lemon in the background and like I don't know, it just smelled like the color white for whatever reason. It was like didn't smell like the color purple. And those were really, really cool plants. So it was like this. And they're beautiful. They look a little like star pupil, although the flower structure was very different. It had the same kind of purple that starts in the center, and it's just purple the whole time. It it, it looked pretty similar. Um, And it had its own unique leaf structure that I hadn't seen in other stuff. So it was just like, this is unique enough to cross with the Star Pupil and just see what purple craziness comes out. So right now I'm flowering a few of those out and somebody's pheno hunting like a hundred of them. So I'm going to see what comes out of there and grow a few more of them and hopefully that'll be a release in the future. I want to call it the
0: Valedictorian if it's as good as I expect. (laughs) That's a good name. So what would be your advice for an aspiring breeder? Oh yeah, that's a fun one. So I
1: love when people want to breed because like breeding is a huge part of growing for me. It always has been just cause like, I always end up just like making a little few seeds on the side while I was growing stuff for smoke. And I think it's a really important part of growing. Um, if you want to breed, I think you should have a goal to start with. Like that goal just has to be a vision of like what type of plant you want or what you want to see happen. Let's say you have, like, two strains you like, and you just think, like, what if I combine this? Like, that's a goal already. Like, you're thinking you're getting somewhere. Like, you have to have a reason to do what you do, not just, like, all right, I picked up these ten clones, and, like, I popped one seed out of a packet bot, and it's a male, so I'll just hit everything. Like, that's not the way to do it. Um, you got to have a little bit of a goal and then a little bit of a plan how you're going to, like do a decent job versus doing a shitty job you know and to me I tell people like usually like grow some plants that you know you like let's say you buy a pack of seeds from breeder and you like that strain you let's say even you pop half the pack and you like them you found that they were all pretty similar and they smoked good and whatever and you're like damn this is awesome and then I have like this female of this other strain that I really like and like I see them matching up nicely like this one has this trait and this one has that trait and I think it'll combine good then you know maybe revisit those seeds maybe buy another couple pack <coughs> buy another couple packs if you can afford it um and like look through all the males and find a male that you can cross with your other female of a different strain that you think will work well and then don't just be like, all right, I'm done. Like, grow them out. Don't just grow one. Grow, like, as many as you can and give them the people to grow because you're not going to be able to grow probably all of them. You know, you're probably going to be able to grow however many fit in your grow room. But if you can pass them out to 10 friends, you're going to start seeing what's really in there, what you created. And to me, there's, like, nothing more beautiful than combining two plants and then growing them out and seeing that combination, like, that you did, and seeing, like, oh, shit, like, there's the benching and the smell from the star pupil, but then there's, like, the overwhelming sativa effect from the amnesia haze, and the the flowers are purple, but they, now they're smelling like haze, but the stem rose smells like pupil, and blah, 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 it's, like, super fucking exciting when you're growing out your crosses, and you're just seeing the best traits of all plants that you found and put into that cross and stuff. And another thing I would say is, like, research the genetic background of your strains and take some time to learn which strains have hermy tendencies and which don't. Because sometimes, like, I don't know, you might find something that you like as a plant and you don't realize, like, three generations back it has cookies in it. And just because the F1 cross you got was stable when you grew it, doesn't mean that there's hermy disasters waiting to happen in your next outcross because chances are that's what's going to happen if you work with sketchy things sometimes so I don't know doing some research behind everything like learning the lineage really helps you get a feel for the plant and kind of expect what you might find especially if you dive deeper into more generations and stuff like that and I like to look at like seed finder is a pretty good website like I know some people say like they're not that accurate, but a lot of their stuff's accurate and then go you know, go to a second or a third source and see if it matches up and if if you know the real lineage of your strain based on like how many people say what and then hopefully you know what's in it at least. Maybe it's all wrong, but usually you can get a good idea. And find the plants that vibe with you. Don't create what you think people want to see, create what you want to see. Because, I don't know, people, sometimes people maybe even lack the confidence to know that, like, their opinion matters just as much as, like, some famous-ass dude's opinion. Like, you're equal people, dude. Like, if you want something, do it and create it. And it's going to be awesome. Like, if you're the only one that likes some weird-ass trait, read for that weird-ass trait and make it... And you're going to find people that love it too. And they're going to be really happy because they thought they're the only ones that wanted that.
0: Yeah. Sounds like some good plans. So what's your thoughts on breeding with a mother that was originally a feminized seed?
1: Oh well, yeah, this is a fun one. So I'll tell you right now, it does not matter if your plant came from a or reg seed. It matters that exact pheno that plant that you're dealing with how stable it is and how stable it is in a cross and it's, it's plain and simple you could have a really nice mom from a regular seed and depending whatever genetics are in that it might not be good for breeding or it might be awesome for breeding and the same goes for a fem seed it could be super stable when you breed with it or it could be super hermy but i tell people do a run with your mom's stress test the hell out of them and see who croaks you know like fuck with your lights in the middle of the night turn them on for a little for like half an hour like every couple weeks during flower like if you can fuck with your temperatures like just shut your heat off or shut off your ac and let it go wild for like a few days and like i don't know maybe let them almost die for like not watering them and then water them like just enough that they bounce back and do all kinds of weird shit like just as a test to see how stable your plants are and usually, once you've done that, like, you have at least a much better chance that they're going to outcross well because they seem to be stable. Although it's not always the case, you definitely just have to grow out whatever cross you make. But um, it's no secret, the Amnesia Pupil, the Amnesia Haze came from a Thim Seed from Royal Queen Seeds. And I was not planning on breeding with it, but I just found this amazing pheno And I was like, fuck it, let's see what happens. And I was... Totally expecting it to be like some sketchy ass Hermicross because it was a fem seed, but they all came out super stable and super amazing. And that mom was a really, really good plant. And it was so, so vigorous. Didn't matter that it was from a fem seed, it was insanely vigorous. So I don't know. I, I see a lot of good things come from fem seeds, and I see a lot of good things come from egg seeds too.
0: Yeah, I can definitely attest to that. So, in regards to being more of a well-established breeder these days, do you find that there's any difficulty in dealing with multiple seed banks? Is there at times where you wish you were just going through one or do you kind of like being able to spread your work out a bit?
1: Um, I like being able to spread it out because for whatever reason, like, customers seem to have their own preference, like, some some growers are just, like, when's it coming to Neptune? And I'm like, dude, it's at a seed bank and this seed bank. Like if you want it, go get it before it's gone because it's limited. And they're like, I'm going to wait till Neptune gets it. Or like, I'm going to wait till the East Coast gets it. And sometimes they're not even like locally from that area. It's just like where they prefer to shop for whatever reason. So it's kind of cool to spread them out to different places and different people. And like, you know, some of the seed banks are close friends of mine. So it's like, They, in my book, they come first, like they have first dibs on whatever. And then the people who take like a month to answer me, like it's their fault if they miss a drop or something, but people are just going to get them. Like it's kind of first come, first serve. Like I reach out to everybody and tell them, like, all right, these are coming next. And then get them if you want them. Don't get them if you don't, but this is what's happening. And then I try to like tag the seed banks that only have
0: this train when it's. Available and stuff, it's hard to keep track, obviously. So sometimes I just add them all, and I'm like, just look through them, see if you can find it. Yeah,
1: <laughs> but yeah, I like it.
0: So, on to our last question before the short fire ones Who is someone because you mentioned earlier you've done some collabs before, but who are some breeders who you would love to do a collab with going forward, and more importantly? how would you logistically envision the project go down? Would you want it to be like you select one parent, they select the other, or how would you want to do it?
1: Um, definitely would love to do a collab with Bodhi, just because I find that he vibes, I vibe with him, like with his whole philosophy and his way of doing things and his vision of the plant and kind of, yeah, pretty much he's one of my favorite readers, so, I would like to do something with him if he was down for it. Like, I mean, I have bred with some of his work before, so I would love to see him breed some of mine. And it could go any way that works, you know. Like, send him a cut or send him uh, send him seeds to hunt through, and you know, maybe hit it with one of his males in his own program or whatever. Or maybe he send me something special to work with. Um, and then, you know, same with any other breeder, if I was going to collab, like, something like that. Like, right now, um, I didn't even really realize how it was a collab, but I sent Dragon's Flame, um, a Fino of D-Man's Panama Powerhouse, and then D-Man was like, yeah, he can breed with it, and I was like, yeah, you can breed with it, and then all of a sudden, I was like, oh, shit, we're, we're collaborating, aren't we? Cool. Hell yeah. And I talked to him a lot. He's a cool dude with, like, some really unique things going on. And he does really, really large hunts. So um, he's got some awesome selections for sure. So now he released this pan dragon, which is basically it's a collab of the three of us. Because I hunted the pan of a powerhouse that D-Man bred and Dragon Flame crossed it with his dragon stash mail. So stuff like that's really cool. And then who else would I want to work with? Definitely more so with D-Man. I was really impressed with his Stellar Collision, which was uh, Star Pupil Cross with Power Load. And that shit was a power load, dude. It was fucking strong. I was so surprised at just, like, how ridiculous. Those plants were, like, these huge baseball bats. But then it was potent, too. And I was like, damn, you nailed it. Really, really nice. So, Collab's always fun. I'm always open to it. Like, any breeder that vibes with
0: me, like... If, I don't know they pretty much have to not like cookies and then they're in <laughs> <I don't know. laughs> just the one rule <laughs> <laughs> no, well, I,
1: I like people that cool. like, grow organically and like have a decent sense for the plant and pretty respectful and like I don't know I, I think the vibe just has a lot
0: to do with everything and the, the breeding practices too. yeah of course it all follows through. So on to our last set of questions the quick fire ones. Firstly, what is your favorite strain at the moment? Damn. <laughs>
1: um, it totally depends on my mood. It's either Star Pupil, Panama Powerhouse, uh, Mr. E is a go to because it's always comfortable. If I'm like super anxious, I'll just smoke the Mr. E. And I never get two. I'm always just like perfectly grounded, but at the same time, it's pretty damn strong. So that's a really
0: special plant, too. Those are like my top three at the moment. Yeah, okay. And so now to get a bit more specific favorite strain of all time? Only one.
1: <sighs> damn. I gotta go with my baby star pupil because that thing is it's just too special i don't know it's brought me on so many journeys and brought me so much happiness and to so many other people too it's just like super good vibes all around and somehow i never get bored of it growing it like so many times so i guess that's the one but there's a lot of close seconds for sure
0: so conversely on the other end of the spectrum what's the strain which just least jived with you
1: Oh, it's definitely Girl Scout cookies, and I'll elaborate on that because I don't want people to just, like, not understand. Um, basically, it's like this strain that to me when you hit something with the Girl Scout cookies, it just becomes cookies. And obviously we'll have, like, different expressions based on what you it with a little bit, but, like, I always can pick out the cookies, like, in one toque, I can just taste it or just smelling the bud like it's just so cookies are very dominating strain to me um even when it seems not to be it's like i can just pick it out and it's it's not just that it hurts and all that it's like i physically can't smoke it personally because like it gives me this crazy depression anxiety like bad headspace and it comes through in the process too so whatever reason like I don't like that strain. And then to, to make it worse, like everybody started breeding with it and putting it in everything. And it, it, I swear it's like every other plant I see in my explore page is like, hey, that looks good, but it kind of looks like cookies. I wonder what it is. And then I click on it and it's like something, something cookies or something crosses with something across with cookies in the background. Like There's so many breeders using it and it makes it so that I can't smoke half the weed that's out there. And I try to be open-minded, so I always smoke it, and then I have a bad time every fucking time. And there was two cookies, there was two cookies crosses that I liked out of, I've documented at least 15 that I've tried, but I've probably tried more than that because I don't usually write down when I smoke shit, but I've smoked a lot of cookies and I only liked two of them ever. And they were were like pretty far out crossed in the ones that I liked. Yeah. And, yeah, I don't know. It's just like fucking up the gene pool really bad because, I don't know, you cross anything into everything and then you lose diversity and you can never get it back fully because it's in there. It's like, I don't know, imagine there was a GMO strain and everyone was like, fuck GMOs. And then, like, if every other strain had that in there, it would be a huge issue. So to me, it's contamination. And it's simply a strain that I don't like and I appreciate I respect the fact that people do like it, because for a lot of people the Girl Scout cookies is like good medicine, or it's a good plant, or whatever they like about it, and I completely respect that, because whatever my favorite might be, could be their least favorite, I don't know, like everybody has their own body, and everything works differently for them, so I respect the plant, but I feel like it's way, way overused, and it's really causing problems in breeding, and then diversity and like when you go to dispensary every strain is like the same thing when it's three quarters of them are just a cookie's cross and then the one you think isn't a cookie's cross you look it up and it is
0: (laughs) that's a thorough answer i like that so if you could only grow one land race strain for the rest of your life which one would it be
1: oh shit (laughs) um see that's tricky because first i went to panama and then i was like dude sometimes panama is way too fucking strong like it's for my whole life i'm just gonna go crazy if i only smoke that so i mean can i grow other strains on the side (laughs) to balance it out (laughs) okay um damn that's super tricky because like that's a favorite of mine but that's too strong Honestly, like, I need something more mellow that I can chill with so that I can smoke it, like, whenever I need to. soothing? Probably, like, some purple type of Pakistani landrace, just because, like, they're not that strong. And I love strong weed, but if I was stuck with something forever, I would have to go with something that's a little bit mellower, just, like, for my own sanity, because... A lot of the stuff that I breed, I can't smoke it every day. It's like when I want an experience, or like when I'm when I'm in the right mindset, I can smoke them days and days in a row. But then other times, it's like give me something mellow. Like this shit's too strong. The land races are pretty wild sometimes.
0: Yeah, that that's a good pick. I was kind of thinking in my mind the packy because of those reasons you mentioned. Plus, you can even find some like uh, narrow leaf packies as well. So you know, goes both ways sometimes. Yeah, so definitely next question what's the biggest mistake you see people making when they're starting to breed
1: um, not using enough selection because I see so many people that they pop two pack two seeds out of like one pack let's say like they're growing a few different strains but each one they only pop like one or two seeds and then like something gives them a male and they're just like that's my male and while that can work that's just a crapshoot like if you're lucky that won't work but nine out of ten times if you select a male out of like even ten males instead of one male you can look for something that you're looking for rather than just using what you have and the same goes for females too actually I mean I really love hunting males and I could get into that little what I like to look for but first I want to say that people uh I don't know I see a lot of beginner breeders like they pop one or a few seeds and they got like one stable female and they just like go and breed with it and it's not like the worst idea because like you could for sure make something good and if you're just doing it for yourself and your friends at school, but there's so much more potential and more fun really if you can do a larger gene pool and people always say like they don't have the space and blah 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 but like just grow smaller plants and grow more of them and look for like something special like i think you have to know this plant a little bit more like you can start breeding when you start growing for sure but you have to keep an eye on the plant as a species and see what variations are in there and what you like and what you don't like and that's how you're going to create something a little bit better is by weeding out the bad ones and like a lot of people will say like yeah i have this one plant and it's pretty it's not strong but it has all these other traits and the flavor sucks and then i'll cross it with this and try to make it better and i'm like dude if you have a bigger selection you'd probably find a stronger one to work with to begin with that has maybe a better flavor and then like work with a good plant and another good plant and make those better don't work with a shitty plant and a decent plant and try to make gold because you certainly can but it's just more work and like at this point there's so much good stuff out there like just pick a good one and like find a good one, take the time to find special plants and then it'll create some really cool stuff.
0: Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you just kind of said yourself, you'd love to talk about some mouse selection stuff. Why don't we do it before we wrap it up?
1: Okay. So male selection, right? Yeah. Yeah. So basically I try to look at the male plants as if they were female plants and look for kind of, the same things you would look for. The only thing is that you can't smoke it. I mean, people say you can try to smoke it, but it's, it's, there's no buds to smoke. It's plain and simple. You're not gonna go smoking your males really to get high. So, um, my first piece of advice is like, generally, grow, hunt males of the strain that you've already grown before and smoke the females, or at least if you haven't grown it, you've smoked a female of it and you know what it's like. and um pay attention to like the the pheno of the female in that strain that you're looking for especially if it's like a polyhybrid that may have a few different phenos you might want to select a male that kind of seems to match up with the female that you liked um and you have to do all of this with all your other senses you can't smoke it but the male plant is just as much of a cannabis plant as the female plant and Uh, When you first start flowering males, like a lot of people just like, okay, cool, there's pollen, let's use it. But I don't know, that's kind of early to make your decision because the male flowers develop over time and sometimes they'll start dropping a little pollen, but they're not fully grown yet. You haven't seen like how it really stacks and how it gets resinous and trichomes and what it, you know, like there's a lot more to see, so... I recommend, first of all, get like a strain you like, start a bunch of seeds of it. You can even call the females if you don't have time for that or give them away or whatever. But like you want a lot of males to look through and you can do it. You have to like, squeeze them in a two by four or a four by four or whatever. Like small areas, fine. Small plants are fine. But like the more plants, the better. Like flower in a two or three gallon if you can, like to keep them small, but still get a decent expression off of them. You could flower them in a soil bed if you want. Then you can do way more plants that way. Like In a 4 by 4 bed, I like to start 250 seeds and then narrow it down to like 30 to 50 final plants to hit flower with. Um, and then you can really look through the phenos as they're flowering and you can clone off of whatever you need. And you can reveg a male clone too. You just got to keep picking off the pollen sacs but it works usually. Um, and let's see. So flower a whole bunch of those. Find, you gotta stem rub them, like I said earlier, stem rub them like probably every week or so. Um, Starting pretty early, you know, when they're a few nodes tall and they start smelling pretty good. I love to hunt males under full spectrum lighting, especially a CMH, because you can really smell the terpenes a lot more with that kind of lighting. Maybe it's the UV, maybe it's the full spectrum, but. When you get really, really stinky plants, you get a really good clue to like, what pheno what that may be or like the intensity of the is big with the male that, that can help a lot to pass on to the next generation and get you something really, really terpy. Um, and let's see, there's a lot of growth characteristics in veg that are pretty important when you're going through big selections. Like, if you're starting a few hundred in solo cups and they're ready for transplant, this is where you're going to throw half of them out because you're going to look at the root development as you take them out of the cup. And everything that has half assed roots doesn't matter how good the plant is, it's not perfect, get rid of it. You got to call a lot of plants so that you're just ending up with the best one. So, even if each stage of transplant you have to weed out half the plants just to fit your space, like, that's good because you're only going to keep the best and um yeah root development is big just because you want the best plant you can get in like every aspect and something that grows roots fast probably going to grow above ground faster too um let's see the first males that show sex i always kill those no matter what like when you're just in bed and everybody's showing female or male like there's usually one day where like you know maybe a few of the males show, like, it doesn't matter, just get rid of those, um, and usually the later shown males are better or more recessive, um, all of these things, by the way, you have to test in your cross because they can be totally wrong, sometimes a male will not pass on what you think it will, um, and it depends on the cross, across cross it with a few different things and see what happens and grow those all out, but these tips will help you get, like, at least one of the best males of your stock that you're working with. And you might want to try a few different ones and on, like, a few different branches and label everything and keep the clones. But then going into flower, you want to see, like, does it stack hard like a female? Does it stretch super shitty, lanky, and weak? Or does it have, like, a little more better structure, like, more branching for the same size plant is usually a good thing. Like, I don't know. There's, there's a certain structure I like to look for, but it's... You know, look for a good plant. Don't just take one male that you have because you had two seeds. Go through a lot of males, whatever you can afford to do, and like, just find that awesome plant. Like, almost every male that I've ever used has been super resinous, and I've heard other breeders saying that they've never seen a resinous male. And I'm like, how? I see them all the time. Like, they're out there. They're maybe it depends what genes you're working with because some strains. May just not one, but I think the bigger selection, the better things you're going to find. So, go for big selection. Look for female qualities. Um, the smell is super important. The intensity of the smell, and just the growth habits. Maybe don't pick the very tallest male either, but something in the middle, a little vigorous is nice.
0: Yeah. Wow. That's a really comprehensive little rundown. Do you think that maybe some of the reason a lot of people uh, don't see those resinous males is because maybe they might claim to but they just don't really let the flowers bloom that long because that's something I noticed you know a lot of people as you mentioned will be pretty quick to cull the male off.
1: Yeah um, well like when I did the blue Magoo males and I had like 23 22 males there was three resinous ones that are straight up frosty and veg so I knew right off the bat And then I was flowering those three and a few others, and those three were, like, pretty caked on some areas, like, really frosty before pollen even came out. Um, And that might have been kind of an exception. Those were, like, early, early frosty ones, but um, definitely some of the males that I thought were, like, yeah, it's good, but, oh, well, it's not frosty. Like, then they turned out to be frosty later in flower, too, so that's definitely a good point. Like... People might make their selections to it just because it started dropping pollen but you just got to keep it somewhere separate and like bring it in when you're
0: ready to use it when you know it's the right choice yeah solid advice so we'll jump back now to the actual last question of our interview and it is if you could go back to any one place any moment in time presumably to collect seeds or maybe a clone where would you go and why
1: Ooh, I like that the clone part. I never thought about that <laughs> But um, yeah Probably like I don't know India always seemed to vibe with me. Maybe it's just the imagery that I've been exposed to but it just seems like such a beautiful place where like some Beautiful plants with amazing vibes have to come from so probably like the mountains in India and when probably I don't know how long they've been cultivating there, but I know they've been for a while. So like I would want to go before like white people started breeding, I guess before we like fucked everything up with our polyhybrids. So anytime before, I don't know, even the early 1900s, I'm sure like there was some great like locally bred stuff that wasn't like super hybridized, but just like nice selections that came from land race in the area like, you know, like a good air, like family heirloom somewhere in India a hundred years ago. Like that would be really, really, really cool.
0: Yeah, for sure. I think there's a lot of stuff locked away in India that we haven't seen yet, so to speak.
1: Yeah, definitely. There's all these people living in the mountains that have their strains that they grow there. And there's a lot of wild strains. And there's there's like remote locations and really, really... Interesting things that are hiding from civilization, which probably is for the best so we
0: don't ruin it Like by bringing our own seeds in there and stuff <laughs> Yeah, right So I think that one um, that might bring us about to the end of it was there any shout outs or comments you wanted to make?
1: Um, Yeah, shout out to everybody that's growing organically because it's like the single most important thing um and grow for like grow with good vibes and good intentions really um it's like i don't know organic and good vibes like to some people it's just gonna sound like hippie trash whatever but seriously think about it it's the healthiest way like people are gonna be smoking your product like there doesn't have to be any bottled stuff in there and then like the vibes you put in that goes a long way if you like what you're doing really going to show and you're going to create some amazing vibes and just like do what you love don't do it to impress people do it like for yourself maybe impress yourself but um just have fun and like shout outs dangerous because i don't want to miss anybody but um definitely a huge thank you to everybody who's helped me in any way like with growing teaching me things or like teaching others um everybody who wrote those books that made me so paranoid like you're the reason that i'm not in jail so thank you for that too uh like everybody does doing good things for the Canvas community um there's so many people working their asses off like in politics and shit like that just to like try to get weed to be a little bit more legal and safe for like a few more people. And that stuff really, really goes a long way. Like, those are the people that are changing lives by making so like less people get in trouble for such like, and it's a basic human right to plant. So like, thank you to all those warriors out there that are, like doing really awesome things cause it makes a big impact. And then to so, like everybody that's ever bred anything that I've grown because most of it is a hell of a lot easier to grow than like gnarly ass land races for sure so even you know every all the strains that we're all growing they're super special and people definitely need to respect even like there's there's a few things you can say about them but they're there's a lot of work that goes into everything so just thank you to like everybody in the community that's doing anything good because It's pretty much all good there's so many good things coming.
0: on yeah i totally agree so again a big thank you for coming on the show and for sharing all your wisdom with us mass medical strains
1: cool thank you so much for having me that was a blast
0: so there you have it crew a big thank you to mass medical strains for taking the time to chat with us again and a big thank you for you guys for sitting through till the end our sponsors as always 420 Australia Organic Gardening Solutions Seeds here now best in the game in what they do check them out you will not be disappointed and the Patreon gang as always you guys get the biggest shout out we love you thanks so much for donating something cool is in the works guys all of the Patreon fans will get a shot at being on a future episode keep that one in your cap anyway I'll check you guys next time we'll see you